actually is suing B&Q for unfair dismissal. Are you too old for the workplace if you're over 70? Where's the worst place in the three counties for disabled access? Well, we find out why one government building in Luton is causing people all kinds of problems. And there are flood warnings in place in parts of Buckinghamshire and Bedfordshire. What have you been doing to prepare? You can get in touch via email, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text us, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or, and let's be honest, this is the best way to do it, isn't it? You can give us a phone call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. And here's uh, today's trivia question. What does B&Q stand for? Yeah, I know. I yeah, oh yeah, I see you don't know, do you? B&Q. Hmm, it stands for something. I remember finding it out uh, on a New Year's Eve when I was really really drunk once for some reason. I came home and turned the radio on and uh, for some reason they were saying what B&Q stood for and it stuck in my head 20 years later. Anyway, an 81-year-old woman from Bletchley is suing B&Q for unfair dismissal. Irene Mullinger had worked for the company for nearly 25 years and had wanted to carry on. However, when they wanted her to work flexible hours, she said it disrupted her social life. Well, our reporter Jessica Cooper has been speaking to her. Oh, I started working B&Q in May 1988, so I've been there for 24 years and um, I just love working there. But that recently came to an end in August. Mm. Why? Because I've always worked for 67 years on fixed hours and now I was asked to work flexible hours. And because of my social life, I, I need to know what I'm doing at certain times. And starting at 7am in the morning would have meant I'd have to get up at 4am which is much too early for me or I could have been working up until nine o'clock when the store opens but I'll work in Saturdays and Sundays but I just enjoyed working the morning so that I could fit my life around it. What was it that you enjoyed so much about working? Just the companionship, all the colleagues and managers that I worked with and the customers were always fine to work with. You know, it was the interaction of meeting people and being able to talk to them, which was lovely. Would you have chosen to retire now? I mean, you are 81, an age where most people have retired. Would you have chosen to retire at this age? No, I wanted to keep on for as long as possible because I enjoy working, I enjoy meeting people and... I don't want to sit at home and vegetate because a lot of people, they just go, when they retire, they're lonely and don't know what to do with themselves because I live on my own. It's essential to keep mixing with people and I I do enjoy talking and listening and and different things like that. How much do you think your decision to um, not change your hours and your employer, you say didn't really give you much choice, either change your hours or you have to leave. Do you think that was because of your age you were given that choice? I'm not 100% sure, but obviously it's more difficult for an older person to adjust to working different hours. I mean, some people like getting up early in the morning and other people like working late. Me, I like getting up late and working early. (laughs) (laughs) You like your (laughs) lions. That's right. Um, do you think there's a certain kind of cut-off point where older people should give up work? Is there an age that we should ad- adhere to as, OK, you're 80 and that means you've got to stop? 
I think if people are fit and energetic enough and they want to work, then fine. But of course, nowadays it's very hard to get different jobs because people work flexible time, so the part time vacancies aren't quite so easy to become by and I mean youngsters are finding it hard now especially those that go to university that want to fit in a part-time job to help supplement their income it's getting harder and harder to you know get those sort of jobs. What will you do now then Irene? Will you work or busy your time at home? What's what's next? Well, I love gardening, I like decorating the house and uh, working away and I meet friends. I should be doing all sorts of things and if I do happen to get bored, well, I can always go and, and work voluntarily. There must be things that I can, you know, make myself useful. So you've still not retired? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that was our reporter, Jessica Cooper. We have a statement from B&Q who say, as this is a block and quail, by the way, that's what it stands for, block and quail. Uh, as this is a legal case, we can't comment in detail. However, we can say this has nothing to do with age. B&Q has always valued the diversity of its workforce. Almost 30% of our 33,000 employees are over 50 years old, and our oldest employee is 89 years old. We do not consider the age of staff when organising rotors. We consider having people in the right place at the right time to serve our customers when they need us most well 08459 455 555 let me just put this to you if you're 70 and over could you be too old to work you know maybe you're a little bit you're a little bit slower and people have to be a little bit more lenient with you if you're 70 and over are you too old for the workplace Give the youngsters a chance. 08459 455 555. You can't go wrong with the Beach Boys and Good Vibrations. Come on. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, lots on the show this morning. 08459 455 555. Are you too old for the workplace if you're over 70? There, there might be some people who think, well, you know, you're, you're 70 years old. <sighs> You're a little bit slower. You've got to sit down a bit more. Perhaps it's time to, to call it a day and let some younger people have a go. 08459 455 555. Maybe you strongly disagree. Maybe you're in your 80s and you're working hard. And you're proud to be working hard and you work harder and faster than some of the people younger than you. If that's the case, phone up and, and, and tell us. 08459 455 555. You can text as well. 81333, starting your text 3CR, or you can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Speaking of being over 70 and working, the Rolling Stones uh, were playing, I believe, a pop concert last night. <laughs> Have you seen the pictures of Mick Jagger with his little trilby hat and his weird kind of black and white... He looks, aw- he looks awful, doesn't he? He looks awful. I think, talk about people quitting when you're 70 and over. I think he's, was he 69? Something like that. He should really should kind of s- stop, don't you think? I've never... I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I've never got the Stones. They had three good songs. Angie, um... Uh, Wild Horses, and Honky Tonk Woman. And that's it. The rest are, rub- the rest are terrible, aren't they? Awful band. I've never understood the fascination with the Rolling Stones. Morning! The 26th of November. Silly Christmas! No, I know. My little boy got a, um, uh, two things. Two things from Father Christmas at the weekend. 
Catherine pointed me in the direction of this fantastic website where you type in your kid's name and what they like and things that they've been naughty and all of this stuff, and they get a personalised video from Father Christmas. And my little boy couldn't believe it. He said, Daddy, he knows my name. I said, oh, yes, he knows your name, of course. And there was a picture of my son. Oh, it was wonderful. So we had that. And then at the local garden centre... Uh, I never understand garden centres. Uh, they're, they're very odd places. They sell more than just garden things. They're weird garden centres, aren't they? Uh, there was a thing where you could go and write a letter to Father Christmas and he'd write you a reply, and both my little boys got replies from Father Christmas. Fantastic. I love it. I love it. Oh, wait, 459 455 555. The government says it's looking at alternative sites to locate fitness for work assessments in Luton. It's emerged that the current building where they take place... This is brilliant. It doesn't have disabled access. Yeah. Across the uh, country, around a quarter of the Atos centres don't have proper access, and it's causing a backlog for people trying to get benefits. We sent our reporter, Victoria Cook, to the assessment centre on Alma Street in Luton to find out more. I'm standing outside Cresta House. That's the name of the building where all these assessments take place. But they take place on the sixth floor of this building. So I'm hoping to go inside and to see for myself what issues people face when trying to get to the sixth floor. I've just left the building and seen for myself that the assessment centre is on the sixth floor. It's the very top floor of this building. And to get inside the building, there is a wheelchair ramp through the front door. And to get up to the sixth floor, you can take one of two lifts. They're quite small. They take about eight people each. And, of course, there's a staircase as well. It looks like this building's being used by a number of different companies on each different floor. And it's the assessment centre, which is right at the top. But if you look on the website for Atos Healthcare in Luton before you arrive, it does warn that the assessment centre is on the sixth floor. The website actually says... If you think that you would have difficulty going down the stairs in the event of an emergency or would need assistance from someone else, that you are to warn them in advance. It goes on to say that the assessment centre can be accessed by lift, but if an emergency evacuation of the building is required, such as a fire alarm, the lift cannot be used. And it finishes by saying there are 126 steps to the ground floor. That's a reporter, Victoria Cook. Mick Scarlett is an access auditor and broadcaster. Morning, Mick. Morning. Access auditor. You work out if people can get in and out, do you? Uh, basically, what, I, what it is, I go to uh, buildings or places um, and I work out the issues that might be um, presented uh, in getting disabled people in, in making sure that disabled people can access the uh, business, um, the service that they provide. Um, and then I give them suggestions about how they might fix it. Um, and, no, you know, normally I tend to form a relationship with the business that I'm working with to sort of hopefully end up with a, an accessible business at the end. What are the, the main issues then, Mick? Well, it's kind of twofold. You end up with one, which is kind of the physical stuff, like, yeah. you know, getting into the building, like, like you've got in Cresta House, where... Uh, you know, you, it's, <laughs> it's a very strange situation, I feel. It's brilliant, it's brilliant know, isn't it? You couldn't uh, make you know, that up. I mean, obviously, they've kind of given it some thought because they've put, you know, there's a ramp at the front to get in, but then there's been no thought of the um, emergency evacuation procedure. But then there's also the other side, which is things like making sure your information is accessible to people with um, visual impairments, 
with people, you know, making sure that your staff um, understand how to deal with people that have got hearing impairments or might have learning disabilities. So it's, it's quite a big sort of thing. It's not, I mean, a lot of people think that access is just kind of ramps and disabled yeah. toilets, but it's a lot bigger than that. Well, r- yeah, ramps are the kind of the obvious, the first sort of the thing that you might... I Just going off on a slight tangent, because my mum's in a wheelchair and I take her around quite a bit. I right, thought yeah. that all places, all shops and restaurants and things, had to have ramps now, but they don't, do they? No, this is a big uh, misunderstanding, shall I say. I would say miscomprehension. And that you can say right. it, doesn't, it's not um, a word, but you can say it. Big, too big, too early in the morning is a big word. Tell me about um, it. Yeah, <laughs> but it's your job, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, anyway, yeah, but basically I think people think that, you know, the law was made, I mean, it's now it's, it's nearly 20 years, I think it's just about 20 years since the Disability Discrimination Act came in, and that stated that, you know, that, that businesses have to make sure that they're... Um, goods and services are, are accessible to disabled people. But that law, um, which then became the Equality Act, has the word reasonable in it. Yep. Reasonable, you know, reasonable things done. You have to, you know, or if it's not reasonable, you're not, it doesn't have to. And the problem is, is a lot of shops and, and businesses are small. And it's quite, you know, they think it's going to be quite a large outlay of money. And so they kind of can get away with it. The other issue is that it's the only anti-discrimination legislation that is an act against the person and not against the state. So if you discriminate against me, it's I have to take you to court myself. So it means that all of the prosecutions around, you know, discrimination against disabled people cost us money to do. So it's very... People are very nervous about doing it because... If they lose, or they're they're out of they end up getting stung with a car. Mick, if a person with a disability is told that they can't be employed because of access or safety issues, what rights have they got to challenge that? Well, they have to. They, as, yeah, again, they have to take it to court themselves. Themselves, right? Yeah. So, it's, so it's not. It, you know, it, it's a long, <laughs> painful process. And I mean, at the moment, um, you know, there are lots of solicitors out there that will do it on a, you know, no win, no fee basis because they're trying to make legal precedent. You know, I have, I have my own pet solicitor that I uh, ring up whenever I face uh, issues because, you know, they're very keen. That's what they do. They, they want to make legal precedent so they can say, well, because at the moment all the law is being tested, even though it's 20 years later. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if you do get discriminated against, it is worth looking into it because things won't change unless people understand that they have to. What's this, uh, th- th- this scheme that you're, you're involved with in Ampt Hill? Well, basically what it is, in, in Ampt Hill, there's a, um, a Leonard Cheshire home, um, and all the residents there kind of feel a little bit excluded, because while Ampt Hill is a very beautiful and lovely sort of historic village, um, some of the plates, many of the buildings there, are, are, are inaccessible. Yeah. So what they've decided to do is they're all, they've all... Um, got together and they've come up with this idea of getting a community ramp so like in the middle of the the village centre there's going to be a ramp stored possibly in one of the shops and then all the other businesses that need to use it can can just go and pick it up if they need to get someone disabled into their premises. How, now hang on a second how convenient is that going to be? So if you're like in Boots and the ramp is over at at WH Smith's you've got to, what, phone down and say "Can can we have the ramp up here please? Is that how it works? Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, though, is that, I mean, what it is, is all these businesses are very, very small. Yes. And also, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a, an extra expense at a very difficult time, you know, when financially. So, so what this group have done is they've said, well, what we'll do is we'll get the money to buy this ramp. Yeah. We'll store it. You know, we'll get it stored and it'll move around from different shops so yeah. that it's not always in the same place. Um, but then all you've got to do 
your business, if someone comes, if they come up and they want to go for a coffee, then you just pop down and get the ramp and take it back right. and put it up. They come in, then they have their coffee, then they leave, and then you put the ramp back. So it's kind of, I mean, it sounds, you know, um, then, you know, yeah, okay, if it's pouring with rain, it might be a bit of a pain. And it'll be, you know, it'll be equally as much of a pain for them, because they'll be stuck outside in the rain waiting for you to get the ramp. But it's better than just saying, sorry, mate, we haven't got any access. And it means that they all the businesses fulfil their legal requirement of access at no cost to the business. There you go, you see, you're so taking all the of, boxes. And I think that it's, it's something that's happening all over the country, is that groups of disabled people are getting together and saying, look, for far too long we've been told, oh, it's too expensive, yeah. too difficult. So they're doing this, they're, you know, they're getting together and they're saying, right, let's get a community ramp that, you know, that, that is available to the businesses, and it means that they can't, say they haven't got access because they have now. They have got it now. I Mick, we have to, listen, we have to uh, wrap up time. Thank you very much, Mick Scarlett. Um, later on in the show, we'll be speaking to the MP for South West Bedfordshire, Andrew Sellis, uh, and meeting someone who has turned away from the uh, assessment clinic. We did um, approach the Department for Work and Pensions. They declined the invitation, but they've sent us a statement. <sighs> statements. Where an assessment centre isn't on the ground floor, as is the case with Luton, we endeavour to make this clear to people before they arrive for their appointment. We are looking at alternatives to the centre in Luton. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, 6.32, coming up in the next half an hour. If you're 70 and over, maybe you should stand down and not work anymore. 08459 four double five five double five, and an investigation by BBC Three Counties finds tens of thousands of people could struggle to keep warm this winter. Keep listening, find out why. I can't work out if I like this song or not. I think I do, but I'm not sure. I heard this at the weekend. About three times. And normally with a song, I know I like it, or I know I don't like it. It's simple. And this one I was going, I don't, I don't know. It sounds like it's from Aladdin, doesn't it? Yes. I think I think I'm going to err on the side of saying yes, I like it. But I'll I'll wait until I get the results back from the laboratory before I go into much more detail. Now, BBC Three Counties has learnt there could be around 70,000 older people in beds, hearts and bucks in need of extra help to stay warm this winter. The government's giving councils here close to a million pounds in total to help the elderly stay safe and well during the cold months. A new clothing bank has just been set up in Netherfield, one of the most deprived areas of Milton Keynes. Our reporter, Jessica Cooper, has been to see how it works and spoke to parish councillor Joyce Hall, who's behind the idea. It's for the needy, one young lady, I said... I didn't know her. She was just wheeling a pushchair, a baby in the pushchair and a toddler at the side. I said, do you work? Yes, she said, I work part-time. But she said, my part-time money will not cover my bills. And she burst into tears. Older people, they're worried sick. What they're mostly saying is, we go to bed go to bed to keep warm to save the gas because we all know it's going to be colder we shouldn't have to live like that the things that you're most in need of here for people to donate are blankets, blankets and duvets, duvets um, warm clothes 
I just see a couple of the clothes here and I was, I was thinking of my two girls, so, you know, just getting some winter stuff. Hi, my name's Helen and I live in Healands. I saw a article in the local paper that said they were looking, there was a place down here that had opened and they were looking for donations of buggies. And I had a buggy that I was looking to donate to a good cause and I thought that this would be it. It's local, um, it helps out people in the community I would like to start a toy collection um, just over the Christmas period because I know there's a lot of parents who, like myself, have gone and looked in their children's toy cupboards and thought, wow, I've got so many toys, I'm going to need to you know, get rid of a few before Christmas, before they get some new ones. And um, I hope to use this to, to start a toy collection so that people who can't afford to get their children as many toys as they possibly would like um, because the, the fact that they're electric, their gas, their food, everything like that can come down here and can get some toys donated that will be donated to them or they can make a donation themselves and um, give their children a better Christmas. Well, the clothing bank in Netherfield is open on Thursday mornings. In Bedfordshire alone, an estimated 14,000 people over the age of 65 are in fuel poverty. That's a third of over 65-year-olds in the county. Karen Perry is the Chief Executive of Age UK Bedfordshire. Morning, Karen. Good morning. What are the, the main concerns for older people this winter? Well, as, um, as your previous report said, I think it's keeping warm, but also being able to afford to keep warm. They're the main things. Obviously, you know, we all need to keep warm, but we all need to to think about how we do that and older people especially um, you know there's there there are a lot of older people out there in fuel poverty um, you know and, and excess winter deaths do seem to be obviously more it's more dangerous for older people to get cold they don't feel that they're getting cold in the winter it sort of creeps up on them and then obviously we get into the realms of hypothermia and then obviously um, excess winter deaths kick in. 27,000 people um, that are going to die this year through excess winter deaths across the country. Karen, sorry, 27,000 older people are going to die because of the cold? Well, most of them. Most of them are older people. That's the statistic. In this this country? In this country, yes. Yeah, and basically... That's that's, incredible. Yeah, it's respiratory problems, strokes, heart attacks, all due to cold temperatures. I'm shocked by that. That's incredible. Yeah. What yeah. what 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 are what are you, what are you doing to help, Karen? Well, locally in Bedfordshire, I mean, all age UKs are independent charities, but we're all part of a sort of federation, so we do similar things. But specifically, Age UK Bedfordshire, um, we've signed up to the Met Office Cold Weather Alert Service. So every time the cold weather is going to come in in a cold snap, we will be putting that information out through our home help workers, through our volunteers and also advertising that in our office. Also, what people can do, having that warning, is to make sure that they take some precautions. Um, it's, there are some simple precautions that older people can take, yeah. and that's keep, keep lots of layers on, wear gloves, wear a hat. The head is the, is the place where most of your heat loss comes from. Put a blanket over you, have a hot water bottle near you. Um, you don't have to go to bed, but you can do things that will help, and, and obviously just to sort of wiggle your toes and your feet and just do some little things in a chair to keep the blood circulation going. Obviously, have plenty of hot drinks. Have a flask. 
you know, get your carers to make a flask and put it next to you if you're not able to get into the kitchen and make it yourself. Oh, it sounds all so desperate and sad, Karen. I know, I know. I know this is brilliant advice, but isn't it, isn't it a sad image? An old person under a blanket, yes. wiggling their toes with a flask of tea next to them. Yes. I mean, it is, it is a very sad thing that in this day and age we have people that are suffering this way. And obviously all age UKs are urging the government to do something about it. I mean, there, is, there are some initiatives through the electricity and gas companies. There are some, some criteria, and we'll be working on those through the winter to try and get people to um, actually be registered with their gas and, en- and energy suppliers to actually get a rebate. There are some rebates available if you meet certain criteria, and that's if you're on pension credit and things like that. The winter, fuel, the, the winter fuel payment, Karen, how much of a difference does that really make to people? Well, it, it's it's a little lower again this year, yeah. isn't it? Um, you know, it's it's two hundred pound for anybody under under eighty for the household. I think people worry that that's not going to. It's not a lot, is it? And and you know, with with the uh, economic crisis that we've had for the past couple of years, you know, that two hundred pound could quite easily get spent on other things. Um, you know, and older people are, are you know family members, and and you know they like to give people things, so they'll they'll be thinking about Christmas and and you know that sort of thing but I, I would urge all older people to use that money for their bills to keep their heating on low to do things like that to keep warm because you know that's that's how it has to be we we do have to look after our older people we do have to ensure that these excess winter deaths are as low as possible and we do have to ensure that they keep warm keep healthy and keep safe in the winter months Karen Perry, Chief Executive of Age UK Bedfordshire, thank you very much. I'm still shocked by that figure. 27,000 people, the majority of whom will be old, not all of them, are going to die this year because of the cold weather. In Britain, in 2012, I find that incredible. If you're an older person and you're a bit worried about your fuel fuel bills and uh, keeping the heating on and you're already kind of cutting corners... Maybe only having the heating on for a couple of hours in the afternoon. And Can you give us a call? 08459 455 555. If you're an older person or you have a relative who uh, uh, is older uh, and perhaps lives on their own and you're a little bit concerned about them, about how they're going to cope uh, with... Because I get my fuel bill flipping heck. The last one, I can believe it. We've got the heating on all the time. We've got, we've got the, the baby. We've got the heating on all the time. I'm dreading what the next bill is going to be, but, you know, I, I'll, I'll moan about it, but I'll, I'll be able to pay it. I can't imagine being in a situation where I'm turning... I mean, we turn, I turn the heating down, I'm constantly turning it down, turning it off. But I can't imagine being in a situation where I couldn't afford to turn it on. 08459 455 555 is the... Ter- Isn't it interesting? We're talking about two, two different things about older people here. If you're 70 and over, maybe you're too old to work... And also, if, if, if you're old and you're afraid of turning the heating on. Let's get the weather with Elizabeth Rosini. Hello, good morning. Well, I guess the last thing we want to hear about now is more rain, but it's also going to turn colder through the midweek with a bitter old northeastern don't, breeze. Don't laugh well, because so. it's going to turn colder, Elizabeth. Well, I heard you really giggle laugh. then. It's kind of ironic, sort of, <laughs> now the problem is uh, this. As a, weather, <laughs> as a weather person, yeah. do, you, does it, do you get excited when it's bad weather? 
Yes, but I, I do, but I, I, you know, there's a, there's a lot of guilt attached to that as well because, you know, some people's homes have been flooded and, and there's have. me kind of going, whoa, over the weather map. They have. Yes, the winds were very exciting as well over the weekend. Mustn't forget those. We've exciting winds. Of, like 70 miles an hour and stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. Lots of rain. The focus for the rain today is actually over sort of Yorkshire, Lancashire, Cumbria way now. Mm. But uh, still plenty of floods out towards the southwest. As Any, well. Anything else you want to tell us about that's, that's going to happen that's bad? Um, n- not for now, but I'll, I'll, if I find something bad later on, I'll, I'll, I'll remember to bring it up. <laughs> Elizabeth Rosini, thank you very much. It's good to have someone who enjoys their job, isn't it? And uh, Elizabeth Rosini obviously, obviously takes great pleasure from her job. So, you know, it's, it's, we should celebrate that. Maybe we will celebrate that one day. If you love your job, maybe we'll do that as a phone in one day. Anyway, Paul Simon, slip sliding away. I hate songs that miss out G's and have apostrophes. It makes me uncomfortable. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots going on this morning, as always. Good to have your uh, input on a Monday morning. I'm a, a four-day week again for me, I'm afraid. Four-day week. Sorry. Th- it's Thursday. After Thursday's show, I'm rushing off in my luxury polo, Volkswagen, uh, and driving to um, an airport and getting on an airplane and flying to America. You may have heard of it. It's uh, America, the United States thereof. Yeah, I'm going to New York to see the monkeys. Can you believe that? I, on my own, man, my wife is pleased. I'm spending all that money on a middle-aged indulgence. Indulgence. She's oh, she's so happy with me. What Christmas coming up? House move, kids, presents, stuff like that. She's really happy that I'm going away for four nights uh, on my own at great expense. <laughs> no, talk about your midlife crises. Anyway. Yesterday at the Brazilian Grand Prix, Sebastian Vettel, who drives some Milton Keynes-based Red Bull, became F1's youngest three-time champion at 25 years old. Red Bull has already had already picked up their third consecutive Drivers' Constructors' Championship, becoming only the fourth F1 team to achieve that feat. Well, Bob Bull is a motor racing journalist. Morning, Bob. Good morning, Ian. Cards on the table. I know nothing about F1. I have to be honest, OK? But can you put into perspective exactly what Vettel has achieved? Well, it's a pretty special thing. Right. He's, he's, he's won the three championships in a row. Only two people have ever done that before, the great Manuel Fangio and um, our own Michael Schumacher. So, and he's also the youngest person who have ever done it. And coupled with the fact that, as you say, the Milton Keynes-based team have won the three Constructors' Championships in a row as well, I think the whole thing is really quite an amazing uh, a, a feat. 25 is an amazing age. What were the other chaps, Schumacher and Manuel Fangio? Uh, yes. How old were they when they, they, they won their two? Uh, 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 oh, I've put you on the spot, Bob, haven't I? Sorry. No, 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 no. Uh, Fangio was uh, into his 40s when he, re- when he finished his uh, championship. Uh, wow. Thing. He, was well, he was well old, and uh, Schumacher, of course, he was um, also into his late 30s by the time he... Well was, old. Yes. How, <laughs> how have Red Bull become so dominant in such a short space of time? Because the team was only set up, what, what six, seven years ago? Well, it's, I mean, it's been set up as Stuart Grand Prix, based at Milton Keynes, when it was Jackie Stewart who, who formed it. It then became um, Jaguar, and they took it over. It then transmogrified, um, whether the expression is into Red Bull. So, to be honest, it's not a brand-new team, or it's a brand-new name. Right. Um, but it's one name. You, we all mentioned Sebastian Vettel. with won three championships, but the man who's responsible is Adrian Newey, their technical director, who is just a technical genius. He always produces a clever car. He always produces clever little tweaks through the year. And to be honest, without Adrian Newey, they wouldn't be where they are. 
Um, that's not to say the rest of them aren't worthy of an enormous amount of praise, because it's a tremendously well-knit team. Because a lot of it, Bob, it is the, the, the technical capabilities of the car. I mean, obviously the driving is a major important factor, but it, it's the car that can win it as well, isn't it? Oh, very much so, yes. I mean, it, the, the Red Bull has been the, the class of the field most of the year. Occasionally, um, McLaren have come fairly close, but Ferrari and Alonso have never, ever had the fastest car. So in many, many ways, a lot of people think that Alonso has probably done a better job because he hasn't had the same car that Vettel's had. But uh, Vettel won five races and his teammate Weber won two, so that's seven of the 20 races all went to Red Bull. So, you know, you can't odds that, can you? Bob, why do you enjoy Formula One so much? Because I, 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 I've never really given it much time and I don't quite get it. Explain to me why it's so exciting. Uh, it's very difficult to answer that question, isn't it? Right. You know, it's, I mean, I can't stand football. I wouldn't give you toughness to watch a football match, for instance. And cricket bores me silly. Oh, cricket's it's terrible, out. isn't it? These other things, you know. Yeah. Um, but when I was a very young man, well, a young lad, actually, went to the Isle of Man on holiday, and they had some motorcycle racing on there. Um, my dad and I were absolutely enchanted by it, and I've just been a follower of motorsports ever since. But uh, I saw my first British Grand Prix in 1952, so, you know, it's difficult to let go. Yeah. It's it like is a drug. It, it, well, I, you know, I, I have been to Silverstone and I've I've, I've stood very close to the, um, the the pit stop and stuff, and it's very noisy. It is very exciting. It's very noisy, and there's there's a lot of smells. There's a, there's, a, there's a good atmosphere, isn't there? Oh, there is. Yes, the, the fans are tremendously supportive of their drivers and and the, the sport generally. And you don't get any of the hooliganism that you sometimes see in other sports. Yeah. They, they, you know, they're pure and suited. Well, they have to be. Let's face it. If you're going to get up in the pouring rain and sit in a muddy car park and not get home till. <laughs> the next morning you've got to be keen and that's uh, that's the motor racing fan bob listen thank you so much for explaining that i appreciate that a lot bob bull motor racing journalist uh telling us about sebastian vettel who drives a milton Keynes based red bull formula one's youngest three-time champion I've, ne- I've 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 never got formula one and it was interesting to hear bob explain why he does get it and why it's so uh, important to him i've tried it's interesting i think talking to sports people about why they get their sports Oh dear, a, a knob has fallen off. A very important piece of equipment has, uh, hang on a second, there we go, fixed it, fixed it, everything fixed. Now, up to the uh, up-to-date, state-of-the-art studio. We'll, we'll post a picture of the studio and the knob that fell off on the Facebook page. You can have a look at it in a few minutes. I think it's, yes, well, it, it, I think it's fixed. Good morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up in the next hour of the show, including... We speak to the solicitor of an 81-year-old Bletchley woman who's suing a DIY store for unfair dismissal. They wanted her to work more flexible hours. She said it disrupted her social life. Are you too old for the workplace if you're over 70? Are you avoiding putting your heating on to save money? BBC Three Counties has learnt that tens of thousands of older people will struggle to keep warm this winter. And there are a number of flood warnings in place in Bedfordshire and Buckinghamshire today. Our reporter Justin Dealey is finding out just how prepared you are for the bad weather. If you want to get in touch, you can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. You can give us a call 08459 455555. Or you can go to the Facebook page. I will post a, a picture of my broken knob on the Facebook page in a second. Facebook.com forward slash BBC. 3CR. It's good to go there. Hang out. We get... Hang out. <laughs> I'm such an old man. We put up kind of pictures and uh, clips and what's coming up and all the various shows. So do go and have a look. 
BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, an 81-year-old woman from Bletchley is suing DIY store B&Q for unfair dismissal. Irene Mullinger had worked for the company for nearly 25 years and had wanted to carry on. However, when they wanted her to work flexible hours, she said it would disrupt her social life. Our reporter Jessica Cooper has been speaking to her. I wanted to keep on for as long as possible because I enjoy working, I enjoy meeting people and... I don't want to sit at home and vegetate because a lot of people, they just go, when they retire, they, they're lonely and don't know what to do with themselves because I live on my own. It's essential to keep mixing with people and I, I do enjoy talking and listening and, and different things like that. How much do you think your decision to um, not change your hours and your employer, you say didn't really give you much choice, either change your hours or you have to leave. Do you think that was because of your age you were given that choice? I'm not 100% sure, but obviously it's more difficult for an older person to adjust to working different hours. I mean, some people like getting up early in the morning and other people like working late. Me, I like getting up late and working early. (laughs) (laughs) You like your lions. (laughs) That's right. And do you think there's a certain kind of cut-off point where older people should give up work? Is there an age that we should adhere to as, okay, you're 80 and that means you've got to stop? I think if people are fit and energetic enough and they want to work, then fine. But of course, nowadays it's very hard to get different jobs because people work flexible times, so the part-time vacancies aren't quite so easy to become by and i mean youngsters are finding it hard now especially those that go to university that want to fit in a part-time job to help supplement their income it's getting harder and harder to you know get those sort of jobs what will you do now then irene will you work or busy your time at home what's what's next Well, I love gardening, I like decorating the house and uh, working away and I meet friends. I should be doing all sorts of things and if I do happen to get bored, well, I can always go and and work voluntarily. There must be things that I can, you know, make myself useful. So you've still not retired? No. (laughs) (laughs) Got a statement from B&Q. B&Q, of course, stands for block and quail uh, as this is a legal case we can't comment in detail however we can say this has nothing to do with age B&Q has always valued the diversity of its workforce almost 30% of our 33,000 employees are over 50 years old and our oldest employee is 89 we do not consider the age of staff when organizing rotors we consider having people in the right place at the right time well, Irene Solicitor, Daniel Valentine of Regents Solicitors in Manchester is bringing the case against B&Q. Joins me now. Morning, Daniel. Good morning, Ian. Uh, now, you say that Irene is the victim of indirect age discrimination. What, what, what does that mean exactly? Well, it, it's a little bit of a com- complicated concept, but what we're saying is, we're not saying that, that B&Q is directly discriminating against older people. What we're saying is they're putting in place requirements or conditions which statistically older people would be less able to comply. And therefore they need to be able to objectively justify that requirement or condition that they're putting in place. What are the specific conditions? Well, in in Irene's case, what they specifically required is that she worked early and late shifts across uh, five days out of seven and and at least two weekends a month. 
And in doing so, they didn't uh, take account of the fact that Irene is actually also a protected shop worker, which means she's legally protected from having to work on a Sunday. But it's not, it's not necessarily an age thing, is it? Because what about if you've got young kids? Then the, the, you'd well, struggle with those hours. That's just part of having a job, though, isn't it? Uh, well, well what, the, the way that discrimination uh, legislation works now is it doesn't discriminate against what we call protected characteristics. Right. So if it was the case that, that this requirement or condition also had a discriminatory effect on, on say, women, right. um, because, because women with young children would be unable to comply with that requirement or condition, then, then equally they would be able to ask the company wow. to justify the decision that they've made. Daniel, listen, the, the so bus- businesses, everyone's struggling. Businesses are going bust and, you know, the, the country's in a terrible state. If a, an employer asked you to work certain hours, then surely you have to make yourself available to work those hours if it's in your contract, don't you? Well, the fact is, it isn't in Irene's contract. I, Irene her contract says she contract. has to be available, doesn't doesn't she? Um, her, her her current contract says that she that she needs to be available for right. for normal hour, for for normal hours. Right. Um, but 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 actually, she's worked for such a long time that it's become an implied condition of her contract. Well, I, an implied condition of a contract. Yes. Yeah, what what happens is if if after a certain amount of time somebody has been doing the same hours for a long period of time to the extent that they can reasonably be expected to have those hours, then that actually becomes the implied term of their contract. And that's why the company was required to go through a reasonable consultation process before they sought to change our hours. I am slightly confused by this because there are people out there who are desperate for jobs. And for someone to say, um, oh, I can't do the hours they want because it messes with my social life, which is what Irene has been saying... It smacks yeah, a little I, bit of I, arrogance, doesn't it? Well, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't say that Irene is arrogant. What, what I would say is that Irene is just simply asking the company to justify the decision that they have made to dismiss her because she, because she hasn't um, agreed to change her hours to the flexible hours which they said that she, that she must work. Now, we need to put this but you can't, context. But, Daniel, listen, you, 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 can't, you can't say no to hours that, that a, a, an employee, uh, employer might imply, uh, put on you just because it affects your social life. That's, that's uh, not fair on the employer. But I, but, but I, but I think that that's perhaps Irene being, being, a, being a little bit too comfortable um, and, and, and too nice about this. Think about uh, that. So she's, saying, yeah. she's not towing the line that you want her to tow. Is that what, is that what you're saying? I, I, no, I'm, no, I'm not saying that. But, but, you, but think, it through, think, it, think it through. This is an 81-year-old lady. Yeah. You're asking her to start at 7 o'clock in the morning. Okay. So when, you, when she just... Let me, let me just clarify. She's on after 8 o'clock, so I will put this to her. That when she says, and she, I think she said at least twice in that report, to our reporter there, that um, she can't do these hours because it affects her social life. You're saying that, that she's wrong when she says that. That's not the reason. No, 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 I'm, I'm not saying that, and it will, and it will affect her social life. But what I'm saying—that's well, tough, isn't it? That's what jobs do. Jobs do affect your social life. Well, what, what I'm saying is that it that it isn't for the company to put in place a requirement or condition right. which, by its very nature, will uh, will prevent certain groups of people complying with that. Yes, and that effectively is what we, what we say that the company has done. Now. It may well be the case that the company is perfectly able to justify that. Yeah. And indeed, we've given the company every opportunity to justify that, but they've simply refused to engage with us. Are you going to have a word with so, Irene and ask her to stop saying that it affects her social life? No. Because she's on after eight. That? So if you want to get her, you've got 50 minutes. 
<laughs> no, why, why would I do that? Irene is more than capable of speaking for herself. OK, Daniel, listen, thank you very much. Daniel Valentine, Regent Solicitors in Manchester. Um, and Irene will be on the show after 8 o'clock. We'll be talking to her. 08459 four double five five double five. I want to hear your views on this. Do you think that if you're over 70, you're too old for the workplace? Surely, in this day and age, if people are desperate for work... Then for someone to say, oh, I can't work those hours, it affects my social life, that's not very fair, is it? Well, our reporter, Justin Dealey, has been out finding what you think. Paul, if you're 70 and over, are you simply too old for the workplace? What's your views on this? I think you should be able to work as long as you're able to. As long as you can do the job, that's fair enough. Some people would say people working over 70, they're putting younger people out of work. work, Is there a point there as well? Yeah, of course there is, yeah. Youngsters have got a right to work as well. If they're not retiring early, then the the jobs are not there for the younger, younger people. And what about yourself, Paul? You don't look a day over 25. Oh, when, when, kind, <laughs> when do you aim to retire? Have you got a, um, a target? I still quite enjoy work, but I, be, I would think 65. 65 sounds like a good good time for me. Now, David, you've spoken to somebody recently who's still working at the age of 83. Tell us more about that. He loves his work. He's worked all his life, and he couldn't retire. He does his part-time, and he loves it. I say, go ahead, do it. If they want to carry on, let them carry on. If they're fit and healthy... I would. So when you walk into a shop and you see somebody over the age of 80, let's say, you don't look at them and think, "Mm, they shouldn't really be here. No, I don't really. No, I'm not going to stop them. Uh, And let's get the ladies' perspective on this as well. Madam, if you're over the age of 70, are you simply too old for the workplace? Yeah, you should be at that time taking it easy, I mean... So when you get to the age of 70, you certainly don't want to be working, do you? Well, not, you know, not flogging myself, no. Not um, just enjoying life, I suppose, at the time. You want to be on a beach somewhere. Yeah, I think that (laughs) might be more ideal, really, relaxing. Thank you very much indeed, Justin. Out and about. If you ever see a a, a young blonde man uh, with flowing flocks and uh, a, a shirt undone to his navel... With a BBC Three Counties microphone. That'll be Justin Daly. Go and say hello to him. He's a lovely, lovely chap. He doesn't bite very often. Um, right. if, if you're not on Twitter, get on Twitter. Right? And, and if you j- just follow at JVS Show, because he was having a breakdown on Sunday morning. Did you see that? Because his bath... I don't know what was going on. His bath... He was whinging like an old woman. His bath pipe or toilet pipe was blocked up, and he was worried it was going to be leaking through to the flat downstairs. Oh, it was... This is all happening about seven o'clock on a Sunday morning. It was hilarious. He was proper panicking. I think it started off him being a little bit amused and a, a, a bit wry. And then an hour later, he was panicking. It was hilarious. He sorted it out with some vinegar. Yeah, vinegar. Vinegar, is, as I'm sure you know, dear listener, you can do anything with vinegar. You've got a stain in the carpet, vinegar. The smell of cat wee, vinegar. I was wearing something at the weekend that stank of cat wee. I don't know what it was. I had to go, I was, I was on Sky. I had to go and, and do, be all posh and wear a suit. And something I was wearing stank of cat wee. Awful. I'm going off on too many tangents. I need to just focus on what we're talking about. The government says it's looking at alternative sites to locate fitness for work assessments in Luton. It's emerged that the current building where they take place doesn't have disabled access. Across the country, around a quarter of the Atoff centres don't have proper access, and it's causing a backlog for people trying to get benefits. We sent our reporter Victoria Cook to the assessment centre on Alma Street in Luton to find out more. I'm standing outside Cresta House. That's the name of the building where all these assessments take place. But they take place on the sixth floor of this building. So I'm hoping to go inside and to see for myself what issues people face when trying to get to the sixth floor. 
I've just left the building and seen for myself that the assessment centre is on the sixth floor. It's the very top floor of this building. And to get inside the building, there is a wheelchair ramp through the front door. And to get up to the sixth floor, you can take one of two lifts. They're quite small. They take about eight people each. And of course, there's a staircase as well. It looks like this building's being used by a number of different companies on each different floor. And it's the assessment centre, which is right at the top. But if you look on the website for Atos Healthcare in Luton before you arrive it does warn that the assessment centre is on the sixth floor the website actually says if you think that you would have difficulty going down the stairs in the event of an emergency or would need assistance from someone else that you are to warn them in advance it goes on to say that the assessment centre can be accessed by lift but if an emergency evacuation of the building is required such as a fire alarm the lift cannot be used and it finishes by saying there are 126 steps to the ground floor Wow. Well, Andrew Salou, <coughs> excuse me, is the Conservative MP for South West Bedfordshire and Parliamentary Private Secretary for Ian Duncan Smith in the Department for Work and Pension, uh, the department that leased the building in Luton. Morning, Andrew. Good morning. Nice to be with you. Why, why doesn't the building have disabled access? Well, the government and Atos have said that it's clearly not an ideal um, location and they are looking for an alternative site. What you didn't say in your introduction is that if people think they're not going to be able to get down the stairs, which clearly some people won't be able to... 127 stairs, yes. Yes, but um, the offer is to arrange an alternative location or a home visit for those people that can't cope. I mean, I agree with you, it's clearly not... We're supposed uh, to be making everything inclusive and not uh, not excluding anybody by having... Having um, this office on the sixth floor of a building with two small lifts and 127 stairs, that is excluding people, isn't it? Well, I agree with you, and I think Atos agree that it is not an ideal location. In my own constituency, we've got the Disability Resource Centre, very easily accessible on uh, Pointers Road in Dunstable. Um, I know they have offered um, Atos that uh, this could be a location that people could go to. I'm very happy as a local MP to see if I can facilitate those uh, discussions, because I think that would be um, an, an easy location for people to get to, plenty of parking and all on the ground floor. Andrew, well, listen, and that's a fantastic offer, and, and um, well, we will follow that and hopefully pursue that and, and to its conclusion but how could it have got this far at some point someone would have been sat on the sixth floor going hey there's something wrong with this building oh yeah we can't get disabled people up here yes i agree i mean this um service it's not actually run by the government it's run by a company called atos who are contracted to the government but i take your point it's clearly not ideal Atos do recognise that. As I said, if people do have difficulty, Atos will arrange either a home visit or an assessment at another location. But it would clearly be best of all if everyone could go there and it was completely accessible. And that's what the Disability Resource Centre and Pointers Road Dunstable would offer. So, uh, uh, Andrew, you are, you are saying that you will uh, facilitate moving this, this uh, sixth floor company into this ground floor building, will you? Well, I'm certainly going to see if that is possible. I don't have the power or authority to do that just as an individual constituency MP. But I will speak to DWP. I will speak to Atos. I know Mick Dillon well, who runs the Disability Resource Centre in Pointers Road. He's one of my constituents. I know he's happy to offer to do it there. You know, I just want to start that conversation to see if it's possible. And we know that Atos okay. recognised the building isn't ideal. So hopefully well, that's great. there and might that's, be a way through this. That's great. Let's pursue that in Dunstable. But is there, there must be somewhere in Luton where, where people in wheelchairs can go 
Well, absolutely. I'm not an expert on what properties are available in Luton at the moment, but you're clearly right. And um, I hope those conversations are taking place in Luton as well to see what's available. It's just that I know the Disability Resource Centre well in my own constituency. Well, Andrew, that's great that you've you've, you've given that uh, alternative and deductible, and we shall follow that, sir, if that's okay, and and make sure that that happens. But there must be somewhere in Luton as well. Andrew Salou is Conservative MP, South West Bedfordshire. Thank you very much for coming on. The Department for Work and Pensions um, have uh, uh, sent us this statement um, where an assessment centre isn't on the ground floor, as is the case with Luton. We endeavour to make this clear to people before they arrive for their appointment. If people have mobility problems, which may make evacuation in the event of a fire difficult, a home visit or an appointment and an alternative assessment, as Andrew just said, is arranged. We are looking at alternatives to the centre in Luton. And Atos, uh, who run the centre, also declined to come on the show this morning. They've sent us a statement. By the way, companies, can I just say, statements make you look not brilliant. You know, it's much better if you put up a human being to come on and have a chat. Just but people like you a bit more. People find statements a bit cold and a bit dismissive. But this is the statement from Atos. We let people know about access prior to scheduling appointments to try to ensure that no one goes to a centre that isn't appropriate for them. Luton is a government building, so we are working with the DWP to ensure we best meet the needs of those claiming benefits. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Talking about older people working, there's a a story uh, we've been following all morning about an 81-year-old lady who um, is suing B&Q claiming uh, unfair dismissal because she, the hours that she want, they wanted her to work didn't really fit in with her social life. That's according to her. That's not according to her solicitor, who I imagine is on the phone to her now saying, yeah, don't mention the social life, Irene. Please don't mention the social life. We're asking, should you start working over 70? Richard and Flittick has uh, texted him, 81333, starting his text 3CR. I think it should be compulsory to retire at 65 whilst there is record youth unemployment. Job blocking by pensioners should be stopped so younger people can work. Those pensioners wanting to work should do voluntary work uh, who are desperate for people. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if uh, you want to give us a call on that or anything else. Uh, By the way, the picture of um, my broken knob is up on uh, Facebook now and Twitter, at BBC3CR on Twitter, and facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR, if you want to go and have a look at that. Of course you do. Uh, Let's have a quick look at the front pages, shall we? Yes, it would be rude not to. Uh, Lots of pictures of the Rolling Stones everywhere. Uh, Mick Jagger looking, you know, he does look ridiculous. He looks like a... um, His face, I think, is made of the same material that they make turkeys' necks from. I think so. At uh, the Times, five-star showman Mick rolls back half a century and secret church memo on women demands U-turn. The Church of England is face- facing a major constitutional crisis as a result of the fiasco last week over women bishops. There's, um, uh, on the Independent, Boris Johnson uh, is in India. And he's, he's d- d- desperately trying not to buy any of that tat. That You, you know, I've been to India. I went to India for my honeymoon. I loved it. Um, but you do get people trying to sell you a load of old tat on the street, don't you? And um, we went to... Uh, where was it? Um, was it in Agra? We went to a, a temple, a fort or something anyway, and we rode up an elephant, uh, as you do. Uh, and you have all these dudes taking photographs of you. And at the end, they try and sell you. They all come rushing up trying to sell you photographs. And we bought some. And there was one guy, and we said, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll buy them later. Right? And we didn't really want to buy them. We'll buy them later. And then me and my new bride got in our car. We, had, we were being driven around. And we were being followed by a motorbike, and this motorbike was flashing us. And we got a bit scared, thinking, 
I think we're going to get shot here. And this guy zoomed up beside the car as you're driving, banging on the window. What the hell is this? He's banging on the window. And then he's asking us to wind the window down. I said, please, dear God, do not wind the window down. And he held up a photo of us on an elephant. And he had, it was the guy with the photos. And, um, yeah, he pulled up to our driver who had his window open and the driver just pushed him, <laughs> he pushed him away. Oh, dearie me. Anyway, I'm sure Boris isn't involved in any of that. Uh, the Guardian, the sham directors, um... Um, the existence of an extraordinary global network of sham company directors, most of them British, can be revealed today. Well, that looks interesting. We'll read that later on. Uh, the Daily Telegraph. We want our foster children back. Couple to fight uh, to clear their names after council said membership of UKIP made them unsuitable carers. And then there's another picture of uh, Mick Jagger. Um, a story about the storms as well. The Daily Mail. Victims of the thought police snatched foster children are traumatised, say loving couple branded racist for supporting UKIP. Uh, and uh, there's a shot right down the back of Mick Jagger's throat there. The Daily Express, healthy heart is key to fighting dementia. And there's snow in Cumbria. Well, I never. I like a bit of snow. I can't wait for the snow. Is there a good hill around here? Is there a good hill in Luton that we can go sledging in? On? There must be. Right. I'm going to start putting my sledge in the back of my car. Ready. Always be prepared. We're going to go sledging. Uh, and the sun. Rex Fact. Oh, it's about that programme where they sing. I'm not even going to... not even going to give them the oxygen of publicity. Talking. This is BBC oh. Three Counties Radio. We seem to have... I don't know what happened there. We seem to have skipped the travel bed. It's confused everybody. Catherine Boyle upstairs will be panicking like a headless chicken. We can still make this work, though. Sophie, can you give us the travel news over the news bed? I'm sure Thank I can you. make it work. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Down, down, down. Oh, I don't need to do that, actually, because I can just do this now. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Call 08459-455-555-BBC3CountiesRadio-08459-455-555-BBC3CountiesRadio-BBC3CountiesRadio-BBC3CountiesRadio-BBC3CountiesRadio-BBC3CountiesRadio-BBC3CountiesRadio-BB
James is 63 and from Bean Hill, which is known to be one of the most deprived estates in Milton Keynes. He's been explaining to our reporter Jessica Cooper how he's coping. Difficult, very difficult, especially the electric, because we've got slot meters and we're going to get pension. We're surviving, we're not living, if you know what I mean. I'm going into co-op now and I'm buying the cheap brands just to get through. In your situation, you've just come out of hospital. Yeah, I've just had three major operations. It's just difficult because when I was in hospital, see, they, they cut my pension because my wife gets a little bit of carer's allowance. Because I was in hospital, she wasn't caring for me, so they stopped it. It's just bad. And this yeah. time of year, in the run-up to Christmas, obviously uh, people be thinking about getting presents. Yeah. Well, what situation are you in? Well, I've got eight grandchildren and four great-grandchildren, and we're just struggling. We've been buying bits each week and putting them away, you know. But it's very, very difficult. What would make it easier, then, for you? More money, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> well, Margaret Roberts is a counsellor in Beanhill. Morning, Margaret. Good morning. How are elderly people feeling about keeping warm this winter? I think they're very worried from the people I've spoke to, anyway. They are very worried indeed. I know they get um, the heating allowance uh i don't know what a 200 pound i think or something like that yeah or something yes but um a lot of a lot of them are still terrified to put the heating on the prices are rising dramatically now so what are they saying to you margaret what, what, what are they upset are they afraid what what are, what are they saying well, to you i think they're more afraid than anything they tend to go to bed early um extra blanket on the bed if they've got one just to keep warm so they're not having to put the heating on. How are you uh, uh, on the council trying to help them, Margaret? Well, another councillor on, on another estate, on Netherfield and myself, have opened up a drop-in uh, where we can help not just the elderly, but the young ones as well, mm. uh, with clothes, blankets, if we can get them, um, you know, quilts and things like that. And where, where are you getting these clothes and blankets from? Donations. Anywhere we can get them. So we'll be putting, we're putting out a plea on Three Counties Radio. <laughs> well, no, go on, listen, so if, if someone's got, because I remember a couple of years ago that there was, where I lived, there was a, a similar thing. People were saying if you've got any spare jumpers or any spare duvets or anything, then drop them round. So wh- what, what, what are you after and where can people take it? Well, we're after duvets, blankets, uh, as you say, warm clothes. So elder, elderly, young, anybody. Mm. Um, right across the board. And where, where do they take it, Margaret? Well, how do um, they get in touch? I would think the best bet is me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so find Margaret Roberts. Yeah, uh, it's... I'm on Beanhill. I live on Beanhill. Okay. Listen, do you think Beanhill gets, gets a, a, a... unfairly gets a bad name? <laughs> unfairly, yes, because we have got the best community... One of the best community spirits in Milton Keynes. We've got the Moreland Centre, which has got a community centre. We've got um, Bean Hill Action Group, which is like the Residents Association. And we've got the three councillors. Now, between these three, we organise fun days, day trips, theme nights at the community centre. So, a community spirit we've got. Mm. We've got new doctors. We've got a dental service here. We've got... A chemist here. We've got a good corner shop. What, so, what more? Do you, what more could you want? Good, good do doctors, want? dentists, and a corner shop. Margaret, listen, we've got to end it there. Margaret Roberts, thank you very much indeed. 
Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Over the last six months, we've been talking a lot about the new Bedford Free School. A government inspector has ruled that the school can stay open in its current building. It follows a row between the school and Bedford Borough Council over whether or not Caldwell Street is too busy for a school to be located. Now, Bedford Borough Council says government intervention to grow up planning makes a mockery of the localism bill. David Sawyer is head of education at Bedford Borough Council. Morning, David. Morning. So you think this is the wrong decision? Yeah, I think it's the wrong decision. Why? The reason you've just given, because the decision's been taken in Whitehall without any regard whatsoever for the safety of children. Why did you um, reject the application? What was wrong with it? There were serious... I mean, the school, as you know, is in uh, Caldwell Street in the middle of an extremely busy one-way system, and there were real concerns about the safety of children crossing the road. So planning uh, permission has been given. How will these safety issues be addressed? Well, there'll be no um, additional precautions taken. I mean, clearly parents do have a responsibility to look after their children, and these are children uh, 11 years old. But there's always a worry. I think children and busy traffic are a, a, a very dangerous mixture. And uh, the Borough Council would never have opened a school in, in a busy street like that. Uh, we have planning controls to stop these things happening, to protect the safety of children. These have been totally overruled by, by a department, basically, that's supposed to sponsor localism and is supposed to devolve power to local councils. They've done quite the opposite here. They've hijacked the process, they've interfered, and they've taken a decision 50 miles away in Whitehall without any thought, I believe, for the safety of our children. You're angry about this, aren't you? I am. What, what can you do next, David? Can, can you appeal, or, or is that it? Well, there is a process for appeal. And uh, the council will, will, will look at that. I mean, there'll be a cost concern. We have to make sure that we do things in the best interest of the taxpayers. What we will do is to make sure that every possible step is taken to protect the safety of the children. And we'll work with the school to achieve that. The school opened anyway, even though you'd refused uh, the, the, the planning permission. Doesn't that indicate that actually the council's got very little power? Well, such power as the council has has been taken away from us. I mean, I mean, there's a planning process, and we, we do have power to uh, prevent these things happening. But as you say, the school opened. It, um, it totally ignored the uh, normal constraints. Um, appeal, the appeal process was taken over in Whitehall. And they made basically a political decision. I mean, I mean, this is absolutely no surprise to me. It's a political decision where the education policies of the current Conservative government that are very, very keen on free schools have taken priority over the safety of the children. Can you see the floodgates opening here, David? It it sets a precedent, doesn't it? Um, Possibly. I mean, I I don't see necessarily any floodgates opening. Clearly, uh, as I say, the government are very keen on free schools. There have been a number around the country. I'm not aware of any um, serious applications happening here in the borough at the moment, but uh, you never know. But my concern is not not simply about free schools or not free schools. It's about the safety of children. That's always been paramount to me, and I will do everything I possibly can to make sure children can go to school and leave school and be safe. There will, of course, be um, a lot of people, the parents and and, and the teachers at, at this school, who will be thinking this is the right decision, and it's just sour grapes on your part. Well, they know that. will think it's the right decision. But uh, I don't think this is our great. I think these are genuine concerns. This isn't just me personally. This is uh, my colleagues on the council, officers who looked at the application. They, um, they have genuine concerns about the safety of children. In, I mean, the school is, is, is almost in the middle of a roundabout. 
David Sawyer, thank you very much indeed. Head of Education at Bedford Borough Council, 08459 455 555. We've, we've covered this story quite a bit. Maybe you've got kids or a child that goes to the school. Maybe you work at the school. Bedford Free School, and you think, well, for goodness sakes, the council, get over it. The decision's been made. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. The parents are being responsible when they drop their kids off. 08459 455 555. Or maybe you agree with David Sawyer. And you live in that area, and you see what it's like. And every time you go past it in the morning and in the afternoon, you are terrified because you think possibly it's an accident waiting to happen. 81333, starting your text 3CR, or 08459. 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Also the number to give us a call. We're asking this morning, in in light of this case of this 81-year-old woman who's going to be on the show after 8 o'clock... Uh, who has lost her job at B&Q. She says um, it's because that they she, she didn't want to work the hours that they wanted her to work. It didn't fit in with her social life. Her solicitor says something a little bit different, and um, no doubt he's been on the phone to her this morning saying, please, please, Irene, don't mention the social life. It doesn't do our argument any good whatsoever. 08459 455 555. Uh, she'll be on after 8 o'clock. Um, so uh, we can get her side of the story. But do you think, once you get to 70 and over, that's it? You should stop working. Make room for some younger people to do some jobs. If you can't be flexible, if you're going to slow things down, then perhaps you should just stop. Can we find... Here we go. Before nine o'clock, can we find the oldest working person listening to this show, please? 08459 455 555. Can we find anyone over 80 who's still working? On the subject of old people keeping warm is Doris in Stevenage. Morning, Doris. Good morning. Uh, are you worried about the, your heating bills this Christmas? Well, no, you're trying to keep it down as best you can. Yeah. I'm not too bad, though. But it's, it's blooming cold. It's only sort of the end of November and it's freezing. Yeah, it is cold. What do you do to keep warm, Doris? You run around a bit, star jumps? I'm assuming 91. Oh, well, well, uh, happy birthday for your 91st when that, when <laughs> that is. So how do you keep warm, then? Just keep wrap up with plenty of woolies. I'm wearing a hat. Woolly hat. A nice big woolly hat. My husband always told me, keep your woolly hat on, you lose your heat through your head. I wear at night, Doris, and people laugh at me, and they think it's an affectation, but it's not. It's true. You know those... Uh, uh, I, I've got a wee willy winky. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So at night time, I get my wee willy winky out, and it keeps me nice and toasty and warm. It does, yeah. Yeah. It's a good idea, I think. No, there weren't so many people are suffering now with the cold. Maybe the government should just go and give everyone a wee willy winky. They should do, yeah. They should do. And Doris, you're not working, are you, at 91? No. Okay, we're... I'm not long been out of hospital. I had three months in hospital. Oh, blimey. Is everything... You're right. Yeah, I'm you're... all right now. All right. Well, you listen, you go and put your hat on, Doris. You keep nice and warm. I like those, those wee willy winky hats. You know, the... Little conical things, yes. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, we covered this a couple of weeks ago and we kind of thought, this would be an interesting little story and uh, we'll get people's attitudes and stuff. And it turned out it was fascinating. You enjoyed it. I loved it. It nearly kicked off. It was, it was incredible. And it just shows how passionate people are uh, about their communities and particularly about their village greens, the great British institution. 
uh, the village green. A proposal to turn part of a village green in Bedfordshire into football pitches has been gr- met uh, and granted planning permission by the local council. It's got the thumbs up. Eton Bray Lions, a junior football club, will lease part of the green from the parish council for 21 years. They will now build an AstroTurf pitch and develop two five-a-side pitches. The decision has angered some local residents. Ruth Archer is from the Friends of the Green. Morning, Ruth. Uh, Good morning. How do you feel about the decision? Well, clearly we're very disappointed. And uh, is that it? Are you angry? Are you upset? Well, we are. We still have a lot of concerns about this development. Tell us the concerns you have. Uh, Well, we believe that this uh, could set a precedent... So this will affect not only Eton Bray Village Green, but every village green in the country. Mm. Because if it can happen here, it can happen in Studham, Whitsnade, Kensworth, anywhere in the country. Did you ever think that that your argument was strong enough and, and this proposal would be rejected? I thought our argument was very strong, and I think we've still got a lot of valid points um, that need to be listened to. Can you see any positives in it, though? Investment in the village? That's got to be a good thing, isn't it? Um, I feel that one of the main uh, problems that's going to be is the noise levels, which at the moment, EB Parish Council has stated that there would be no significant increase in noise levels over and above the current noise levels. However, they have failed to quantify what the current noise levels are. So I think that would be a very strong focus at the moment. Well, but surely that just means it it will stay the same. Well, how can it stay the same if you're um, proposing to to play 70 hours of um, football on the green? It's just the sound of people playing football, though. It will not be the same because it's going to be um, on an AstroTurf pitch. So, and also, you've got to think the quantities... Yes. And the amount of time. Does the AstroTurf make a difference to the noise It's the factor? board at the bottom where it's constantly banging off the board. Banging off the board, OK. Uh, the, the pitch is only, it's a, if, if I remember correctly, is it 5% or, or 10% of the, the, the village green? So it's only a tiny... It's 12%. 12%. So it's a tiny proportion, isn't it? But that, that actually, can I also say, that does not take into account the car park. And it's interesting that when the highway officer has looked at the car parking issues, yep. he does not seem to have taken into account any other users on this village green. They've only mm. estimated it on the footballer's use. So already they seem to have claimed this as a football ground not a village green. So perhaps that needs to be a big warning to other village greens all over the country. Uh, well, uh, Ruth, stay there, because we've got Paul Marshall on the line. He's chairman of Eaton Bray Lions. Morning, Paul. Uh, good morning, Ian. You must be very happy with this, this decision. Uh, well, we were pleased because, obviously, it's uh, an application that we were proposing. Uh, do you sympathise sympathise with anything that Ruth has said? Yes, of course. We've, we've always tried to be sympathetic to the neighbours, and during the planning process there's been a number of things which uh, have made the pitch, while still fit for purpose, um, less, less onerous for the, for the neighbours. The noise, the noise, Paul, the noise. The, the ball's going to be banging on that board, and it's on AstroTurf. It's going to be much noisier than it is now. Well, it will be a bit noisier now, because the, at the moment the, 
rye isn't used at all. It's hardly used at all. So as soon as you use it for anything, there, of course, will be a little bit more noise. But essentially, this is a training facility for children. Yeah. It isn't a commercial facility that's suitable for uh, commercial and uh, competitive matches. Ruth, it's the, the, the village green isn't used at the moment. Well, can I just say on that last point? Please do. He said it's going to be for children. So why were they insistent on 253 lux for their lighting? The brightness levels, which I understand means that um, Luton Conference uh, League, if you're in the Luton Conference League, you could play on this green. And normally, the lux for training would be what? 75. What's, what's the word? Like Ruth, what's that. the word you're saying there? Luck. Luck. What does that mean? It's the lighting levels. Okay, right. Paul, answer the that right. question. Oh, well, I understand that the lighting was a condition that was on the planning application, and there's currently a review of what is the actual lighting level needed. And we're not interested in having it too bright and lighting up the sky and having to pay the electricity for that. We just want whatever is the right level of... of Luton, Luton Conference could play there, Paul. Is that, is that going to happen? I don't think that's likely on a pitch 50 by 30. Um, it, it's not going to be happening as a competitive ground. And if the lighting level was wrong. As I said, the lighting was a condition of planning to actually have a report and get the right level, not one that's too bright or not bright Paul, enough. Paul, is it, is it just going to be kids? Because, listen, I, I, I'd imagine if I live near there, kids, I can kind of understand, but I wouldn't want a load of old, load of blokes in their 20s and 30s effing and jeffing and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Will there be adults playing there as well? To some extent, there could be adults playing there, but primarily this is EB Lions and we only have teams up to 18 years old. Ruth, it's just kids. Um, can I just say that you have made it quite clear that you want to develop an adult um, club, and we have absolutely no. Um, we we don't disagree with you doing an adult club or doing this for children. It is in the wrong place, Paul. Paul. I don't know what Ruth's referring to in terms of building an adult club. We're a junior football club. We've got no interest in anything other than providing football to a high standard for the children of Ruth, the village. Ruth, does that... Have you read your actual own Astro report um, for, your, for the planning? I'm sure he has, Ruth, I'm sure he has. He, he, he is saying, Paul is saying there, categorically, that it's, uh, it's a youth team. Does that not put your mind at ease slightly? No, it doesn't, because we have read it very closely, and there are indications that they do want to have an adult football club. But he, but, but... They've got 28 teams at the moment, and those children, the definition of children is up to 18. Up to 18, yes. And they do want... And the other point that I would like to make is that at the moment there are no changing facilities. Ah. There's no sanitary wear on the village green, so do they intend to build a club to cater for this? Okay, that's an interesting one, Paul. There, there are no sanitary facilities, nowhere for the for people to get changed. Are, are you going to build a club? Uh, that's not in our plans, and it's not within our remit. And we would love to have changing facilities and toilet facilities. Currently, we use this site for competitive matches on the grass pitch, and we have girls playing there that travel from Bedford, and we don't have toilet facilities. But that's acceptable. That happens all around the county for children's football. It's not essential. So, Ruth, there, 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 there we go. Another thing. Paul's doing excellently at putting your mind at ease, surely. They're not going to be building a clubhouse there. Well, according to the FA Cup guidelines, you can't have these matches without sanitary facilities. 
And as I live right opposite the green, I would tell you I have seen a number of people using toilet facilities in the hedge. Would you, Ruth, would you be up, maybe we can reach a compromise here. Would, would, would you be up or any of the, the neighbours at all for allowing the young people to perhaps use your toilet facilities? No, I wouldn't, thank you. Could we could we negotiate some sort of fee or something? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, Paul, listen. Thank you very much for putting your case. I don't think we're ever going to agree on this. But Paul Marshall, chairman of Eton Bray Lions, thank you very much for that. Uh, and the uh, last voice you heard there was Ruth Archer, who is from the Friends of the Green. People get very passionate about this. I'm reminded of the Kink song. We are the Village Green Preservation Society. And people do get very passionate. I thought you both put yourself forward uh, with aplomb and with dignity. Ruth and Paul, thank you very much uh, indeed. 08459 455 555. The thing I remember about playing football as a kid, I didn't do it very much because I hated football and I was no good at it. But you just got changed in the back of the car, didn't you? You got, you got changed in the back. I remember going home completely covered in mud uh, and getting changed in the back of the car or b- behind the boot. And being embarrassed and hating it, being 13 years old, and it was horrible and awkward, and, you, you know, you got bits and pieces and stuff like that, and you just did it. Get on with it. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Uh, 81333, start your text 3CR. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can go and see the picture of the knob that I broke on there, and other bits and pieces. <laughs> Listen, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, live on the radio. I just have to say that because my next guest is going, it's not live, is it? I said, yeah, no, it's live. No, no, it's pre-recorded. No, 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 it's live. It's happening now. An 81-year-old woman from Bletchley is suing B&Q for unfair dismissal. They wanted her to work more flexible hours. She said it disrupted her social life. Well, she's in the studio now. She's amazed this is going out live. Uh, We'll be talking to Irene in a few minutes. Where is the worst place in the three counties for disabled access? We find out why one government building in Luton is causing people lots of problems. And a new musical version of War of the Worlds goes on tour this week. The man behind it is Jeff Wayne. He's from Hertfordshire, and he'll be on the show in around half an hour t- uh, hour's time. And he's always a pleasure to talk to. If you want to get in touch, you can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can see a picture of our next guest. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or you can give us a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, no swearing, you. Would I? No. Would I? Don't. You're going to be trouble this morning. Never. No, you've I'm come sorry. in. I can see what they got rid of you. You, co- you came in. You've knocked the studio flying. You've kicked the microphones all over the place. It is live, Irene. We're on the air now. There are people oh, okay. listening. So don't, oh, well. don't, don't be nervous. It's a piece of cake. It's just us well, having a chat. you've been looking after me. I've had a nice cup of coffee and that's a friendly visit when <laughs> nice receptionist. That's, that's Kelly Betts, our receptionist. Yeah, she's, oh, she's lovely. She's, yeah. She does a good job. She's, and she's, I've met a nice lady called Eileen, who's your next <laughs> person. Oh, we had a lovely long chat oh really oh yeah oh good for you now listen uh, let, let, let me set the story up because there are some people who've just tuned in have got no idea who you are so let me explain although they will know because you're a bit of a superstar now 81 year old woman from bletchley is suing diy store b and q for unfair dismissal irene Mulliger, is it irene or irene which one irene irene i thought so uh, had worked for the company for nearly 25 years and had wanted to carry on however when they wanted her to work flexible hours she said it would disrupt her social life you're in the studio now. Are you sure you're 81? 
I'm not, I, I don't want to be, you know, start flirting, but you look a little bit younger than that. Well, thank you very much. No, I was born in 1931. Wow. Mm. That's a long time ago. You know what's kept me young? It's working with all the staff in B&Q. They've really? been fantastic. So when did, when did you start there? 25 years ago? Yeah, 1988. I was 15 years old then. Can you believe it? Good Lord. I was a boy. Yeah. What, what, and you've, you've worked there for, for so long. What, what do you get from it? What, why is it so special and important to you? Well, the money comes in handy, Always obviously. Nice, of course. Uh, I mean, nobody works for love, but I've enjoyed the company and the companionship of the girls I've worked with. Yeah. Lovely management. And the customers have been fantastic as well. Yeah. And, you know, one thing leads to another. I've been round to customers' houses and made Sorry? friends with them. And You've been round to customers' houses? How did yeah. that happen? Well... As they were regular customers, they popped in and we chatted about this and that and the people that loved their gardens. Yeah. We, I like gardening and we talk, talked about gardens and I'd say, well, bring in a photograph and they'd say, well, come around and have a cup of tea, oh, which was nice. Fantastic. But so you don't, you don't get that anywhere else? Staff popping around for a cup of tea and having a little look at the garden, do you? Well, I just... I don't know. It's just nice to meet friendly people. I mean, what did you do before you worked there? I worked in the civil service for about 32 years. Right. So working has always been important to you, and it's an integral part of what you do. Oh, yes. And you say you got... Obviously, you got a few quid for working at B&Q, but it was also the kind of social side of it Mm -hmm. as well that was important. Yeah. Do you think it's kind of kept you sane a bit? Because you do sometimes... You hear stories, don't you, of... um, Older people, when they retire, they're, they're, they're working really, really active, and when they retire and suddenly they've got all this time on their hands, they start losing it a bit, don't they? Yeah, well, that's a sad thing. Yeah. They probably think they've got plenty of time. They don't get up too late. They watch television. Mm. They just sit around. And it's very important to keep active. Yeah. You have to do walks and get out in the fresh air and meet people. But at 81, Irene, don't you just think, oh, stuff it, I'm, I'm going to stay at home now, I'm going to watch Cash in the Attic, um, a pointless, and I'm just going to relax a bit. No. Really? I mean, I don't have to pay for a television licence, but yep. unfortunately I don't have a lot of time to sit and watch it either. So what, let's go back to the BinQ. Why have you had to leave there? What happened? Well, the management are, are insisting that because the hours of the store are 7am to 9am of an evening, obviously they need staff to cover those hours. Yeah. And I was asked, could I do flexible time? Yeah. And I said, no, for 67 years I've worked on fixed hours and I've, you know, I've got a life around work, yes. not the other way around. So your boss said, can you work some slightly different hours? And you went, no. Well... Because you... No, 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 I'm not trying to trick you or anything. Because I'll I, I tell you why. Because it, surely if you have to do the hours your boss says, don't you? If my boss said, Ian, listen, we, we, it, it's not working you doing six till nine. We're going to move you to three till six in the evening. I would be disappointed, but I'd have to do it. You, and you kind of do have to do the hours oh, your boss says, don't you? But you had to work... I only worked four hours a day. Yeah. And you had to be flexible. Right. Sometimes you could start 7am in the yeah. morning, yeah. which meant my getting up at five o'clock. Right. Or you could finish at nine o'clock in the evening. Yeah. Now, from one month to the next, yeah. you didn't know what your rotors were going to be. Tough. And... Tough. 
<laughs> I'm gonna say. I'm gonna, because, that, but, but it's, I, I'm being, my tongue is in my cheek, I mean, don't no, worry. I'm not, no. I'm not gonna uh, have a go at you. But, that's a job, isn't it? That's what you have to do in a job sometimes, is you have to, you, you can't, you can't, uh, plan your job around your social life, can you? And it sounds like that's what you wanted to do. That's right. Well, when I first... You can't do that. <laughs> well, can't. When, when I first went to B&Q, yeah. the job was offered afternoons, um, 24 hours a week yeah. as a checkout operator. Yeah. So I went and worked afternoons on a regular basis. Yeah. And, of course, I was able to do housework and other stuff in the mornings. Well, then the manager said, someone's leaving. That was about two or three years later. Would I like to change to mornings? Well, this was terrific. Because you went to work in the morning, you came home in the afternoon, yeah. you got lunch, did your housework, Beautiful. gardening, and went out to meet friends. And then for all those years, I have had those set hours yeah. which meant i could you know do what i wanted yeah. but now to change and um, work saturdays and sundays which is something i don't do no. um it meant that i would have to say to my supervisor is it all right if i make plans for the weekend following yeah. or something because i didn't know i wouldn't know what my rotors were going to be okay how convinced are you going to win this case are you going to win? What, your mouth, look, you can't mouth something to me. <laughs> you can't mouth it to me. We're on the radio, Irene. Are you confident? Oh, very. Okay. All right. Well, listen, uh, thank you very much for coming in. I appreciate your time. I like your owl brooch, by the way. Oh, it's a beautiful it's brooch. nice brooch, doesn't it? One of my B&Q uh, <laughs> colleagues bought that for me. <laughs> thank you very much for coming in. That wasn't too hard, was it? You see? No. Just something, you, you can breathe again now. Thank you. Just as, just as having a chat, that's all it is. Thank you very much. Thank uh, you. 08459 455 555. If you wait there, Irene, then they see that young gentleman there. Uh -huh. He's called Ollie. He's on work experience. He does whatever hours I tell him to do. He, he's, <laughs> he's not going to take me to court. He will come and escort you in a second and, and make sure that you're okay and he'll, he'll get you a nice cup of tea as well if you fancy one as well oh i don't think i could have any more <laughs> <laughs> did you come up the m1 uh no no oh, okay i've got a lovely neighbor next door right. and she she's on uh computer things and she got yeah. me google oh yeah so I came, <laughs> I, yes. and i've got the pictures from my house link house to oh, this yeah. house L ludwig no what what's the house called i've got no idea yeah. where we are but yeah. yes but she she printed it all out for me. Right, yeah. And on then, the Google. yeah. What's oh, the Oh, look at that! It's uh, look, it's all laid out. Yeah, That's this. my house okay, and Cuff Lane. Oh, okay. we don't give away too many details. We don't want people coming around to your house. Yeah, okay. And Cuff Lane. Yeah, okay. And this is the pictures of how to get here. <laughs> Well, there you go, you see. See, so I couldn't get lost, could you, I? You couldn't get lost, even if you tried. Thank you so much for coming in, Irene. Thank you. Lovely to meet much. you. There we go. That's uh, <laughs> Irene Mullinger. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. We have got a, a statement from B&Q that I have to read out for legal reasons. Uh, they say, as this is a legal case, we can't comment in detail. However, we can say this has nothing to do with age. B&Q has always valued the diversity of its workforce. Almost 30% of our 33,000 employees are over 50 years old and our oldest employee is 89 years old. We do not consider the age of staff when organising rotors. We consider having people in the right place at the right time to serve our customers when they need us most. Uh, can I ask, Irene, do you, do you listen to BBC Three Counties? Do you, do you know Jonathan Vernon-Smith at all? Sadly, no. No, I haven't, um, you've not heard him. Well, you say sadly. It's not really missing. No, well, the thing is, yeah. on my radio, it's fixed to... B 
BBC Two, <laughs> and I don't mess about with no, the don't. channels. Well, Jonathan Vernon Smith is. Um, I, I, I say he's a presenter. I use that word very loosely, but he's the gentleman that comes on and does the show after me. He's he's hit and miss. I think is the, is the polite way of describing. He's going to come <laughs> in in a second. You'll get to say, Jonathan, Jonathan, come in and say hello to Irene. He's, he's going to come in now and say hello to you. He's a very nice you, chap. You know what's going to happen? Go Obviously, I'm going to listen. You're going to listen to you. This is Jonathan. This is Irene. <laughs> hello, nice to meet you. She, do, she doesn't know who you are, so don't no, get too I, no, too, too carried away. She <laughs> listens to Radio Two. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but what, he looks good, doesn't he? He's, he's a nice-looking lad. I tell you what, you've never smoked in your life, have you? You've got Sorry? such beautiful white teeth. And thank you very much, you see. She's talking yeah. to me. What, what about Jonathan's teeth? He's got a nice smiley face, He's got too. a lovely <laughs> smiley face. He's very, very grumpy, though, Jonathan. No, I don't believe No, it. he looks like a cuddly bear. He's not had a shave all weekend, look at no, him. No, it's true, I've not. I've not <laughs> had a shave. I've had a, a real weekend of it, Irene, I'll oh, tell, yeah. oh, tell you. Tell Irene about your um, bathroom. Oh, don't, I had a leak under my bath, Irene. It was uh, water going everywhere. I put kettles of water down there. Terrible. Good Lord. What would you put down a bath if it got blocked? I'd call a plumber. Yeah, would you? I would call a plumber. Yeah. He was whinging like a big girl's blouse all, all on the internet. I mean, I can house decorate. Yes. I love wallpapering. Oh, don't I we really all? enjoy doing that. Yeah. But plumbing? Plumbing, oh, no. No, no. Expert, I need With a plunger? No, I'd call the expert. Would you? Yeah, yeah. Two o'clock in the morning, Irene, it was. Oh, water. well, yeah. Oh, shut the door and think about <laughs> it the next day. <laughs> 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 That's called life experience, Irene. <laughs> Irene, it's lovely to meet you. Thank you so much. We sure Thank love... I've got, to, I've, got, I've got to do a radio show. I do a Apologise. Let's go. Get joy. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're, we're still, no, Irene, don't worry. Don't worry. We're, we're, Irene's still here having a chat with Jonathan Vernon Smith. But uh, you've got a new <laughs> car, haven't you, Irene? <laughs> I have. You've, got, you've gone from your Audi to a little Kia. Yes. <laughs> but you're struggling to know how lot how big the Kia is. You, you keep. <laughs> it's a bit shorter than you imagined. I know, but I'm safe enough to put passengers in yeah, it now. There we go. Good. <laughs> I, I, again, again, I keep referring. I, I'm doing a radio show at the moment. I, I'll, I'll help Irene. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, there well, we I'll go. Show you this. <laughs> Bye bye, my love. Take care. Here we go. Put your arm in there. Yes. Go on. Oh, too hot. Come on then. Let's show you out. Bye bye, my love. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'll do this now, shall I? It's not funny. It was awful. Are you allowed to talk about this on air? What the the fact that I I nearly killed my neighbour downstairs? Yes, that that fact. Well, okay. So I went out to see Skyfall on Saturday. Yeah. And I got back quite late, about half past midnight. Do you normally fall asleep in the cinema? Always. I, t- I can really? never never see films all the How way through. You, you stayed awake for Skyfall, so that's... It's my, my dad's got it. It's called sleepy sickness. <laughs> it's like a form of... Uh, is it called narcolepsy? It's called sleepy sickness. That's what my dad calls it. My dad can't watch any programme, any television programme, more than five minutes. And he falls asleep? Yeah, it's that's terrible. Fantastic. And okay. I'm getting it with films, right, you see. Okay. Sleepy sickness. Yeah, yeah. so anyway, I... Is, I it, is he a doctor, your dad? No. Okay, right, just... Okay, okay. So, um... So I got back, and yes. uh, and there was all this gunge in the bath. Yeah, yeah. Well, my bath's connected to the washing machine. I'd left the washing machine on while I went. Your bath is connected to the washing yeah, machine? Yeah, the same waste pipe. It goes through the oh, wall. Okay. You see, it's terrible. That so doesn't thought, sound right. Oh, this is not good. So I had a shower. The water was going nowhere. Yeah. So I thought, oh, this is this is terrible. My, yeah. my bath's all blocked up. It's now almost one o'clock in the morning. Wow. So I went and got... I've got this special stuff with a skull and crossbones on the, on the, on the front. I feel like I'm living this in real time. But yeah, go on. Yes. It's like a, like a drain clearer. So I poured yes. that down. Nothing. No. So I went and got my plunger. No. And I'm plunging away. And all of a sudden, it went... And all the water drained. I thought, oh, that's good. Wonderful. Till I realised all I'd done is I'd, I'd popped off the, uh, the waste pipe <laughs> and <laughs> an acid was flooding down into <laughs> Kathleen's flat downstairs. 
Has anyone heard from Kathleen since the weekend? Yeah, don't worry, I've spoken to her. She's okay. It's all sorted. Fantastic. What's on your show this morning, Jonathan? Well, I'm, I'm picking up, of course, on your conversation with Irene, because yeah. it was lovely. Yeah. And I'm asking at nine this morning, should older people be given special treatment in the workplace? An 81-year-old woman from Milton Keynes is suing her former employer for unfair dismissal after they asked her to work different shifts that, they, uh, that she thought were unsuitable for her age, and as Irene was telling you, didn't really fit in with their social life. Yeah. Well, in the statement that B&Q gave, they said they don't consider the age of staff when organising rotors. They do it in a way that treats everyone equally. But is that a bit unfair? You know, somebody like Irene, an older member of staff, don't they bring with them huge amounts of life experience? They bring different qualities to younger members of staff. And is it actually quite important that companies make those special exceptions for the older workers? What was nice, she said she's been round to customers' houses for a cup of tea and to look at their gardens. Yes. Where would you get... You wouldn't get that anywhere else. No, exactly. So if you have, if you have an older member of staff, they bring different things to the workplace. Yep. And is it not really important that employers do bend the rules yep. for their older workers? Well, Roberto they, Peroni. They do, they do make special exceptions <laughs> for, their, <laughs> for their older workers because they've, they recognise recognise that okay 81 they don't want to be working at midnight but yep. they bring other things instead i want your views from nine should older people be given special treatment in the workplace or perhaps you think the whole thing's outrageous and if they're too old to do different shifts boot them out i want your view at nine <laughs> thank you <laughs> that came from nowhere that sudden burst <laughs> thank you very much perhaps see you later on ta-ta bye-bye Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with the JVS show, you can do. It's uh, JVS uh, show at bbc.co.uk. JVS show at bbc.co.uk. Another way to get in touch, of course, is to go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Uh, and Jonathan will post up what he's talking about there. So you can have a little say on the Facebook page. Uh, and you can also. Facebook is great for arguing with other people as well. So if someone's posted something on there you disagree with, you can have a little uh, argument on there as well. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Uh, now, the government says it's looking at alternative sites to locate fitness for work assessments in Luton. It's emerged that the current building where they take place, it doesn't have disabled access. Across the country, around a quarter of the Atos centres don't have proper access, and it's causing a backlog for people trying to get benefits. Eileen Carroll has had first-hand experience of being refused access. She's in the studio with us now. Morning, Eileen. How are you this morning? You all right? Good morning. Thank you very much for coming in. Tell us about what happened to you when you were assessed for your benefits. I wasn't assessed. I was sent an appointment to be assessed, yep. and I turned up at Cresta House, and I was told that I couldn't be assessed because I was a liability. I'm, I'm smiling just because it's so incredible. How, do you, how did you feel when they, they told you that? First of all, I was, I was stunned. Yeah, I, 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 was, I was absolutely stunned because in order to get to that appointment, I'd had to make several arrangements, including my husband taking time off work. Yeah. And I was absolutely stunned. I couldn't believe that outside the sign said Medical Assessment Centre. And I was being told I was a liability. Why? You're in a wheelchair. Is that the reason that you're, in a, you're a liability? Because, but I, did, I wasn't told that at the time. Right. I was simply told I was a liability and I would have to have a home visit 
a home assessment. And that wasn't up for negotiation. I was told, you'll have to have right. a home visit. I'm scratching my... I, my mum's in a wheelchair, so I kind of... Well, I'm, I'm aware of how, of how difficult it can be um, for, for people in wheelchairs to get around, even if they've, they've got help. I'm just wondering okay. how I would react okay. if someone came down and said that to my mum. Well, I then asked, well, why, why am I a liability? Yeah. I'm only passing on a message. I'm just the messenger. Right. That's what I was told. Uh, with contempt, it was the, the, mm. the whole, the whole attitude. When you when you made the appointment, really. did they did they at any point ask if you were in a wheelchair or I say didn't, I didn't? You don't make an appointment. You fill in a form. Right. You fill in a form, and on the form there are lots of questions. There's a mobility section, mm. and there are lots of questions around mobility, but there isn't a specific question. They don't actually ask the question, Are do you, you in a wheelchair? a wheelchair? Right. You would think they would do that, but they don't yeah. do that. They stopped your benefits? They did, eventually. Wh uh, why was that? Well, I came... Um, I went to the Disability Resource Centre on my way back, and I said, look, this has just happened to me, mm. and I don't fully understand why, and I wasn't given an exp a full explanation as mm. to why. So then, um, Mick, Mick Dillon... Uh, We're about to speak to you in a second, we've got him on the line. Yeah, looked up into it and i also went to kelvin hopkins and he was mm. he was dealing with it and from there we dis we discovered to cut a long story short that cresta house uh, on the sixth floor um as you go into cresta house of course it's there's disabled access mm. there's the logo there's a ramp but when you get up to the sixth floor if there is an emergency they can't evacuate yeah. you from the sixth floor mm. That's Ali, what we if, you put the, if you put these headphones on, you can just put those on because we've got Mick Dillon is on the line. Mick is from the Disability Resource Centre in Dunstable. Morning, Mick. Morning, Neil. Uh, I'm, I want to laugh because this is just so incredible. The, the, I know. The, 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 but you hear stories like this, and it with the, the, how many stories like this are you getting, Mick? Well, you, you can't make it up, and um, um, there, there have been a number in, in the Luton Dunstable area because it serves the, the whole area and uh, there'll be more coming up. That's the reality with all the change in, in Universal Credits and, and VLA from April onwards. Because we, we've been hearing this morning uh, that uh, yet yeah, home visits uh, can be laid on and, th and, and other facilities can be laid on, but it would seem, in a case like Eileen's, that was never made clear until she turned up. Well, I, I think that there's a whole number of things here. One is about anyone understanding the needs of disabled people, so access needs, but also how you treat people. Mm. Uh, that doesn't cost money, of course, and... Uh, you know, certainly the we're working in dialogue with Atos, trying to get some uh, awareness of what these needs really are, and I think we're trying to be growing up about the whole situation. What have uh, Atos? You, you've been speaking to Atos, Mick. What, what have they been saying to you? What's their response? Well, to, to be fair to them, and, and it's, there's always two sides to every equation. You know, a lot of buildings they've got are not suitable. Now that's one discussion going back a number of years, and the, the lack of understanding why you can't use certain buildings. Uh, but the reality is that at least they're now recognising that. Uh, and the challenge there is what they can do about it. And of course, oh, well, let's get cracking, let's get something sorted uh, and make sure that people who are being judged, you know, and, and there's a whole issue about this medical judgment. Yeah. How, how is anybody being judged and how you're being treated? You know, if you, and you think of Luton, you can't park easily. Uh, Alma Street is a very mm. slow site anyway. The access to the crash house isn't fantastic. There's a, a quirky little ramp on the left-hand side and you go into the lifts. Uh, and it's not a building of choice that most people would like to go to. 
Eileen, as a wheelchair user, what kind of changes would you like to see made in terms of access? Well, to begin with, I would like to be able to access the same buildings that other people that are going for assessment access. Mm. Um, I was offered uh, to be assessed elsewhere, and that would have meant they sent. I was sent a map, which meant I would have to get three buses mm. in order to get to the various places that they were offering me to be assessed. That shouldn't be. And the, the reason that Atos can get around it is because of the Equality Act, Equalities Act 2010, where they have to offer a reasonable alternative. Right. But, you know, is that actually reasonable? Is that reasonable for me? Mm. I, I feel I should have the same access that everybody else has. Mick, very quickly, because we're running out of time, it's, it's 2012. I kind of thought that we'd have had all of these things sorted by now. It's obvious, isn't it, that, that places like this, that, that there are going to be people who have different needs, uh, that it should be accessible to everyone. Well, I, I think you're right. I mean, if, if you look at our building here, we invested in our building uh, by 2004 when the, the Act changed. Uh, even as a charity, you've got to invest in your buildings because it's, you know, a resource and a asset and a liability. Um, you can't hide behind legislation, but the trouble with the uh, Equality Act and the DDA before it is that it has a word reasonable that Nick Scarlett was talking about. Reasonable, morning. yes, that vague... And, and that, that's a judgment, and if you ask a judge what's reasonable or any man in the street or person in the street, that's the issue. A disability discrimination and, and law has a bit of a, a get-out clause of reasonableness. Um, you know, sometimes that's used to say, well, we can't afford it. Well, how much does it cost? Well, we don't know. Well, you have no exercise. The, the key thing is look about what you provide and how you provide it mm-hmm. and customers. Uh, and, you know, the spending power of disabled people is something like £80 billion. Whether that's earnings or benefits, you're still a consumer. Mick, listen, we have to end it there. Sorry to cut you short. Mick Dillon from the Disability Resource Centre in Dunstable. Eileen Carroll, thank you very much for coming in this morning. Uh, we have got a statement. Uh, we invited uh, the Department for Work and Pensions to come on. They said no. Uh, they said where an assessment centre isn't on the ground floor, as is in the case with Luton, we endeavour to make this clear to people before they arrive for their appointment. We are looking, you're shaking your head, I know, uh, we are looking at alternatives to the centre in Luton and the company who run the centre, Atos, uh, have sent us this statement. We let people know about access prior to scheduling appointments to try to ensure no one goes to a centre that isn't appropriate for them. Thank you very much for coming in. A little bit later than usual, but I just thought that was uh, well worth pursuing because it was so interesting. At nearly 8.32, let's get the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Paul Buckle's team will be joining the draw by Chesham, Boreham Wood or Bromley or and or and, sorry, Oxford City. And or and or and. No, it's important. No. It's and Oxford City or Bishop Storford. Okay. Okay. Thank right. you. Uh, hang on, one more. Oh. In ice hockey, Milton Keynes Lightning lost 4-2 at Bracknell last night. Okay, Ian Lee, your turn. Really? Go. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's 26 minutes to nine. Jonathan Vernon-Smith is on at nine o'clock. In the next 25 minutes or so of this show, uh, you may have heard our special programme from Flampstead on Friday. Well, I found a brand new Strictly Come Dancing reviewer. He's called Angus. He's eight. We'll be speaking to him in a few minutes. And a number of flood warnings are in place in Buckinghamshire and Bedfordshire. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, has been in only finding out how it's affecting homeowners there. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, yeah, and Jeff Wayne coming up on the show. I love Jeff Wayne. He's so, he's so enthusiastic. He's been doing this for, like, years and years and years, OK, for years, pretty much forever. And quite often you interview people who've been doing 
music and that kind of stuff for a long time. And they're so jaded and so miserable and so... Not Jeff Wayne. Oh, it's like it's day one. It's like he's won a, he's won a competition. He's always so enthusiastic. Now, did you watch Strictly Come Dancing this weekend? I didn't. Because I have a life. I don't need to watch it because we have young people out there who do watch it for us. Oh, I've just skipped the music. We don't need, we all know the theme goes. We've got Angus on the line. Good morning, Angus. Good morning. Now, Angus, we met on, uh, on Friday in a pub in Flamstead. Yes, you did. Yeah, and did you, have you had a good weekend since then? I've had a good weekend, thank you. Tell me, tell me what happened over the weekend, Angus. Let's get a little bit of colour about you. What, what did you do this weekend that was so uh, cool? Not much. We just stayed around at home and went to the park. And That's not bad. Hey, I've just discovered, right, you'll probably know this because you're a young man, I've just discovered those websites where you can, you pay like a few pounds a month and then you can watch films like on your Xbox and your phone and stuff. Yep. They're amazing! Why has no one told me about them before? I don't know. So this weekend, I, I didn't actually watch any films this weekend. It took me all weekend to set it up on my phone and my, my Xbox. But boy, I'm ready to, to watch, I don't know. What's your favourite Woody Allen film, Angus? Uh, Manhattan Murder Mystery? I, I don't really know. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, it's, you have to tread carefully with Woody Allen. A lot of his more recent stuff is rubbish. Anyway, let's get to the important thing here. Strictly Come Dancing, did you watch it this weekend? Yes, I did. What did you make of it? Any good? Uh, yeah, it was good. Some bad dancers, but... Oh, who, who, were, the, who were the bad dancers? I didn't like Louis and Flavia. Oh, now, Flavia is, is the only dancer I know because I like her hair. I think she's got very nice hair. Um, uh, what, what was wrong? And she danced with someone called Louis? Yeah. Who, who is Louis? Ah! Uh, what does he do? Yeah, I think he's, he's a gymnast. He's a gymnast, he's okay. Uh, and what, was, what kind of dance were they, were they doing? They did a, um, slow one. Oh, yeah. But with not many lifts. Oh, I hate the, I hate the slow dances. Why would you do a slow dance? You want to do a fast one? I, I don't know. Um, did they get, did they get booted out then? Uh, no. Who, who went this week? Um, Victoria and Brendan went. Ah, now Victoria, I know Victoria. She is um, the uh, cycling lady, isn't she? Victoria Pendleton. Yes, she is. And Brendan is the charmer who I've met. I've met Brendan a couple of times, and he's a very charming man. They went, did they? Uh, yes, they went. She, w- w- was she not very good? Because she was, of course, the Olympic golden girl, um, but not so hot at, on the dance floor. No, I, I think she shouldn't have gone. My brother, Edward, um, voted for her, but it obviously didn't pay off. Edward voted to save her? Yeah. Did he actually make the phone call? Yep. Whoa, hang on. Is Edward there? Yes, he's Ang- there. Angus, let me have a word with Edward. Yep, Okay, Edward. thank you, Angus. You're on. Edward, you're on. Hello. Hey, Edward, how are you? Fine. And h- how old are you, Edward? Five. And when's your birthday? October the 15th. Oh, so, y- so you're still quite new five, then? You're, you've not been five for very long? No. Which did you prefer, being four or being five? Five. What's so good about being five? You're older than four. You got it. That's the kind of science I like. Now, you voted for Victoria Pendleton, did you? Yeah. Why? Because I really liked it. What was so special about her dance? Well, I've got a couple of things about it. Yeah? I liked Victoria's dress and I liked the song. You like what? What song did they do? Well, it was called Candy. Is that the Robbie Williams song? I don't know. Oh, okay. Robbie Williams has got a song out called Candy, and it really is very, very catchy. She's she got a hurricane in the back and of her throat. Yes, yeah, sorry. And I like 
dance. That's Tracy Beaker, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, she was good. Who... OK, Edward, this is the question. Who didn't you like? Who was rubbish? Mum. What was the name of the rubbish one, Mum? Victoria and Brendan. No, you you liked Victoria and Brendan. No, I didn't. I th- hang on a minute. Have I, have I, has my head just been sucked into a time warp? I thought you tried to save Victoria. Talk to him. <laughs> it's all kicking off. Edward. Listen, Edward. Basically, you, we're not sure who you liked and who you didn't like, but you enjoyed the programme. Is that correct? Yes. Edward, thank you very much. What have you got in school today, Edward? Anything exciting? No. Excellent stuff. Can we speak to you again in a few weeks? Yes. Yeah. Edward, thank you very much. Say, say goodbye to Angus and say goodbye to Mum for me. Bye. Bye-bye. Nice to talk to you. Fantastic. Edward, he's five. Angus, is eight. If you've got some kids under the age of ten, please. They were cracking, weren't they? Well done, boys. Good work. Good work. It can be. It's a little bit nerve-wracking. Of course it's nerve-wracking. You're on nerve. BBC Three Counties Radio talking to that bloke who used to be on the telly. Of course it's nerve-wracking. I thought they did a cracking job. Angus, Edward and Mum, thank you very much indeed. If you've got some kids, ten and under, who you think would be cracking uh, Strictly Come Dancing reviewers, boys or girls, could you send an email? 3CR at bbc.co.uk 3cr at bbc.co.uk just put in the subject Ian Lee Strictly Come Dancing and just tell us a little bit about them the age, where they live that kind of stuff so we get a little bit of a flavour of what they're going to be like superb Um, right floods heavy rain that's brought flooding to many parts of the country is expected to continue today there are around 250 flood warnings and close to 300 flood alerts in england and wales one of the areas with a flood warning is only in buckinghamshire we sent our reporter justin Daly in his galoshes there this morning and he's been speaking to residents in midland road and church street so neil there has been a flood warning issued for your road but you're not concerned in the slightest are you not in particular no because this has happened a couple of times before and nothing has come of it so you haven't got the sandbags out or anything like that at all no precautions in place no because but we know where to get the sandbags from and where would that be Milton Keynes Council. Well, see, we're standing on Midland Road. Again, there is a warning in place for your road. You received a phone call last night. What happened last night? It was just a phone call just gone midnight saying that um, there was a flood alert in the area and for us to look on the local websites. Mind you, looking around here today, everything looks pretty normal to me. (laughs) There's no water at all. (laughs) Because some people are saying these warnings are wrong because they're scaring people like yourself. Yeah, I think we've lived here for five years and we've never had any water come anywhere near our property, so Mm. touch wood, I feel okay. I mean, you bought this property knowing there could be flooding issues here. What's the situation with insurance? Are you paying way over the odds because there could be flooding here? No, not at all. As soon as I gave them the postcode, according to the insurance company, we weren't at greater risk than anywhere else. But we are on the edge of a floodplain. Madam, there's a flood warning in place for your road. Are you taking any precautions whatsoever? Not at the moment, no. Have you also received phone calls telling you there is a flood warning in place? We haven't at this end of the street, but you may find people closer to the river may have got some flood warning issues, yeah. And the issue is, what's over the back of your house? Tell us what's over the back. We've got five fields surrounding the river behind us, so a couple of them are flooded at the moment. But it's never actually come towards your home, it's always remained in that field? As far as I'm aware, certainly since the past four years we've been here, we haven't had the flood come to our garden. Do sandbags work? I don't think sandbags actually do work. Do they? Because it's like sand in a bag. Water can get through that, can't it? 
we've had this discussion before. What we need is someone to uh, I- invent, and I'm, I, will, I will take 15% of anybody who comes up with the idea. We need to invent something that's better than sandbags. I don't know. Walls? And what? Bricks would be better than a sandbag, wouldn't it? Because water doesn't go through bricks. Maybe I'm being far too simplistic uh, about this. I have no idea whatsoever. 08459 455 555. We're putting out the eternal plea. Can someone come up with a, a suggestion for something that's better than a sandbag? Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Although to be honest, I'm only here until nine o'clock. Your best bet is uh, to stick around and wait for a little bit of Jonathan Vernon Smith, who's on at nine. Um, if you want to get in touch with Jonathan, he's picking up our topic of uh, Irene, the eighty-one-year-old who's been let go from being Q. Um, she is claiming unfair dismissal because of her age, and he's asking should older people be allowed to work. If you want to start getting in touch with Jonathan, send him an email. Let's get the weather with Elizabeth Rosini. Or maybe we won't. Elizabeth Rosini is, is, uh, is not standing at her post, armed and ready to tell us what's going on in the world of weather. One can only hope that uh, Ms Rosini is alive and well and that nothing has happened at the weather centre, although it is possible that a coup has been staged. We, we may not find out. Let's uh, let's try this now. Elizabeth, are you alive and well and safe? Elizabeth? This is terrifying. This is terrifying. We have no idea where she is. We've lost the weather. That's it, I'm afraid. We have literally lost the weather. Today, no weather. Oh, I get a minute. Are you there now? Yeah. Oh, for good. Where were you? <laughs> well, what, what are you, what, what are you are lot you? up to then? Oh, I've been here the whole time. What have you lot been up to at the Weather Centre, Elizabeth? Well, it's all well, it's all fun and games here at the Weather Centre at the moment, you understand. It, Not so much for the three counties today. Though. Okay, well, listen, listen put, put your cocktail down and carry on with the, with the weather report. Well, you have to do it acapulco, I'm afraid. Oh, my music. Oh, it's, no. There isn't the music's acapulco. gone. Acapella, no. Okay, yes. Well, I thought they meant you. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. Here we go. An improving. I found you some music, Elizabeth. I've got you some music <laughs> really you are naughty look by midweek onwards it's going to be drier and it'll also be colder as well what's this it's, it's the only cd i could find it's i don't know what it is but it's good huh? it's country yeah <laughs> oh he's singing though sorry he's singing yeah. carry on no it sounds it sounds sounds pretty good well that's it really oh. unless you want me to talk for longer uh, no that'll do thanks very much Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. I don't know what that music was, but I was enjoying it. I do like a little bit of country. I have a soft spot for country music. Always a big fan of that. Right, lots to cram in in the last ten minutes, so eyes down for a full house. It's estimated there could be around 70,000 older people in the three counties in need of extra help this winter to stay warm. The government's giving councils in beds, hearts and bucks close to a million pounds in total to help the elderly stay safe and well during the cold months. But it's not just the elderly who are at risk. David is 34 and he's from Netherfield, one of the most deprived areas of Milton Keynes. I've got bipolar. Um, I've been on the sick now for a number of years and they sent me for a medical a little while ago, um, basically saying that I was fit for work. Um, my doctor disagrees, so the process now is basically um, I've been waiting nine months. I've been surviving on £80 um, a fortnight. Um, that's gas, electric and food. Um, I haven't been able to put gas on for the last nine months. While it's all been sorted out, I can put my electric on, uh, I can barely eat. I've been forced 
well, not forced, because we all make our own decisions in life. But um, I've been forced to shoplift, which in turn's got me banned from shops and stuff like that. Yeah, things aren't good at the moment, really. Well, joined on the line now by Richard Dixon from uh, Buckinghamshire Community Foundation, which runs the Big Heat Fund. Morning, Richard. Yeah, good morning. How does the Big Heat Fund work? Well, it's a really simple idea. Uh, We're saying to people who want to support uh, people in their local community who are struggling with fuel poverty uh, to put money into the Big Heat Fund, particularly if they're getting one of those winter fuel payments uh, that they think is something of a luxury. Uh, and they'd like to give it to help people who are really struggling through the winter to stay warm and healthy. How much money are you hoping to raise and having uh, your, hoping, your bank, as it were? Uh, exactly. We're hoping to raise this year about £60,000. And the good news is part of that government money that's uh, given to us actually matches pound for pound uh, money that people donate to us. And who is going to benefit from it? Well, we then uh, give the money uh, in December to groups that work with uh, vulnerable families struggling with fuel poverty. In Buckinghamshire, we've got uh, 10,000 people, uh, 10,000 households who are um, struggling with fuel poverty, paying more than 10% of their income uh, to pay their fuel bills. So we will give it to local community groups who work with them, which could include the Citizens Advice Bureau, uh, children's centres, uh, lunch clubs uh, running in local communities throughout the county. Do you think that changes need to be made to the winter fuel payments? It, it, it's always struck me as odd that some people, uh, 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 older people, get this payment when some of them don't need it. That's certainly the feedback we get from uh, people who donate to our uh, big heat fund, which is part of the surviving winter appeal nationally. Uh, that They say they'd love to give it back. They don't understand why they get it. It's not means-tested in any way at all. Uh, So what we do is just provide a way in which uh, they can give to the fund and we can uh, uh, distribute that money to groups uh, who work with uh, vulnerable people who are really struggling with fuel poverty. Richard Dixon, thank you very much. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Now we're talking, now we're talking. No, you're not here. This is good, huh? Da, 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 I don't know what the words are. I don't know what the words are, but I know the song. Of course you do. Love this. I love it. Very excited. A new musical version of War of the Worlds goes on tour this week. To mark the tour, a new album is out featuring the artists, artists like Josh Stone and Gary Barlow. Have a listen. Have a listen. Have a listen. Have a listen. Here we go. Now you're not here. There we go, exactly. I'm, I'm still gutted that Jeff Wayne de- declined to let me sing on his record. And, uh, but despite that, I've let him come on my radio show again. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, Ian, good morning. Are you Thanks. sure it's not too late for me to come and... Um, maybe I could come and do one of the live shows with you or something. Well, Ian, you know, I think we've got our diaries crossed because uh, this is the new generation recording and I've got you down in my diary for the last generation. Oh, man, well, when's that? <laughs> another, we've got another 50 years or something another to go for 34 that. 34 years. Put it in your diary. Man, I'm there, definitely. Jeff, it's always a pleasure. I was saying uh, earlier on about this, you, you, how long have you been in this business for? It's, it feels like forever. It, it does to me too. How, how do you keep so enthusiastic? Because I've interviewed people who've been doing it even longer than you, or, or, or less time than you, and sometimes they're so grumpy, and they, they don't want to talk about something they did 30 years ago. And, uh, but you always, I was talking to you a couple of times, you always seem so enthusiastic about this. 
Well, I, th- I think the truth is, Ian, that uh, between its original release when I did it and, and came out in 1978, and until we started touring it in all the arenas in 2006, I hardly had returned to it. So I was working with other artists, scoring music to TV and film, just doing everything but the War of the Worlds. But when I came back to it, it was so fresh to me. Yeah. And uh, it reminded me how wonderful the story was. It's what I fell in love with, was this very dark Victorian tale that H.G. Wells created in 1897. Uh, and I revisited the original script I recorded with Richard Burton for the original recording. Mm. And, I, and I discovered how much didn't make it to the original album. There was at least as much that uh, didn't make it as that did. And I think it was simply because it was the era of the black vinyl disc when yeah. you had just a finite amount of time. So I just re- rediscovered it and wanted to be sure that uh, if I was to do it again, it would be under the basis that the, the, the story, my musical score, the production techniques, the, the complete artwork package would be reimagined uh, with a fresh set of eyes and ears, and that's what we've done. We spent almost two years doing it. Jeff, what, in, go back to 1978. What on earth were you thinking, man? Because it's the tail end of punk, new wave is about to come in, and you go and release a concept album based on an H.G. Wells story. Well, most people ask me the same question. Uh, that's the truth of it. Uh, but it was just back to the story, the the fact that as a young composer and producer, I essentially had the opportunity uh, to start with a blank canvas and to express myself as any artist would like to do. And yeah. uh, I wasn't sure if I'd ever get another opportunity, so I just went for it. You sunk a load of your, your, your money into it as well, didn't you? Yeah, that's true. I, you know, I had great backing from what was then CBS Records. It's now part of Sony. But it was for the first third. And uh, in order to finish it or to complete the whole project um i did have to go into my life savings which represented the the remaining two-thirds and i i mean all these years later i mean and, and it is a, a, an amazing record but the, the new version and the old version they're fantastic are you are you are you surprised that it stood the test of time so well well if you had asked me before it was coming out would i be talking to you 34 year, years later not only about the original but about this new generation recording i would have laughed because the truth of it is that I didn't even have a guarantee it would be released by the record company. Wow. They had to wait to, to, for it to be done, and to, they had a 30-day period to make a decision whether they liked it. And on the 30th day, I got a call. Can we have another 30 days? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it was on a fine line between uh, disappearing and actually being released. So uh, looking back now all these years, I think it clearly resonated musically as an incredible story. Mm. And, of course, we've been touring it since 2006 in many countries of the world, not just the U.K., and uh, the audiences have all been the same, so receptive and uh, having a great night out. Jeff, what, what can people expect on this tour? Well, it's it's a reflection of the new generation recording. So the sound has is very much in parallel. The story has been expanded. Uh, we have uh, all new animation that runs with our hundred foot wide screen and runs in parallel to the live performance. But it's all the the technology, and of course we have Liam Neeson who's taken over this role of the journalist who had survived the Martian invasion from six years earlier, and he's recounting his story of survival. So uh, on every level, the, the, the cast is entirely different. Uh, it, it's a new generation. And finally, Jeff, very quick, he's going on a slight tangent. Josh Stone is on it. I like Josh Stone, and I worry about her, because I met her when she was 16, and she was this up-and-coming young thing, and then she had a, quite an unfair ride, I thought. Is Josh Stone okay? Well, my experience with, with Joss and her mum, who's her manager, was one of the most pleasurable experiences I've, I've had professionally. 
we've remained in touch. Good. Uh, and uh, she's just a very uh, free spirit, you yep. know, and I think she's touring all the time. She's got the most incredible voice that you can imagine, so I was so fortunate to attract her onto the album, along with all the others, you know, G- Gary Barlow, uh, Ricky Wilson, Alex Clare, Maverick Saber, and of course Liam Neeson on the album as well. So I, I just had another wonderful experience. But Joss is, is truly a great artist. Uh, Jeff, listen, thank you so much for coming on. Always a pleasure and an honour to talk to you, sir. War of the Worlds, new record out, and a new tour. Definitely worth catching a look at that. All over the shop, my timing, said I can only apologise. Thank you very much for listening and taking part. Back tomorrow at six. Do stick around, though. After the news with Catherine, it's Jonathan Vernon Smith. Beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.